Sure. I'll talk it out. Yeah. Let's just have a conversation. Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed. My colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whatever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Describe the ruckus, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? DJ Anubis and DJ Neko back with you another episode of the Hordes of Chaos episode 175 on the Metal Tavern Radio podcast thank you all for tuning in and checking it out today mm-hmm. as usual we have a lot of new music coming your way as well as some classic material uh, our rock block as usual with Neko's pick of the week and uh, as always we bring you different topics of choice Sometimes entertainment, sometimes social issues, sometimes political, etc. Uh, retro DVD movie vault pick we also will have. Mm-hmm. We watched that last night. It was great. Mm-hmm. Been a while since seeing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, we'll get around to first one of our first topics will be 
The Boys uh, Season 3 has ended, I believe. I think it's ended. I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, so we'll be uh, closing out with a review of that. I think it was eight episodes, I think, this year. Uh, might be what their standard is. I can't remember. But uh, sometimes series go from 6 to 10 or whatever. But I'm pretty sure it was only eight this year. Uh, then we get into a discussion about... Uh, a couple of docs that we watched from kind of both ends of the spectrum. One is Transhood, the other is uh, What is a Woman? Uh, so we're discussing that topic a little bit as well as uh, in incorporating uh, some of the stuff that I've talked about with uh, actress Bridget Leahy, uh, the French actress who uh, was a big part of Gene Rollins films in the 70s and early 80s, mm -hmm. as well as the uh, French uh, adult film industry. So. Uh, we'll be integrating some of that because, uh, as I discussed some time ago, uh, there was an incident with her later in her life uh, where she was attacked for a certain thing that she said, but I think that is with all things that we see in our media. Uh, if you're, if you don't quite clarify what you're saying or if people don't wait, they kind of jump on you without understanding what it is you're talking about to begin with. So we're going to get into a lot of that. That's probably one of our one of our more serious discussions we'll be talking about, but mm -hmm. uh, we like to mix it up here. That's what we like to do. That's right. So let's get into our first block of music. All brand new stuff. Uh, Municipal Waste, great thrash, protector, more thrash coming your way, and Flames, a mixture of death and thrash. Mm -hmm. uh, the last time this band had put out a record was 1996. Their first two records in 1985 and 86 were both like almost perfect records for a lot of people if you go into metal archives they have about a 90 percent rating for those first two records today it's it's a band that people don't really talk about a lot in metal because they kind of went under the radar but i found out about them probably about five or six years ago and fell in love with them their new record resurgence is already on my top list for the year oh wow yeah so we're going to kick it off with a track from that it's called rotten life and we'll be back right after this cool.
Sosrisatia Crandahi Talk a little bit about The Boys Season 3. Big fan of this show, obviously. Um, I think, as we mentioned, probably not too long ago, uh, it reminds us a lot of, like, The Watchmen a little bit uh, in terms of the violence and how even people who intend to do good, there's a bit of a, a god complex that comes with it, especially when you have superhuman strength and powers. And so The Boys is really kind of about this. So for those that never actually watched this show on Amazon Prime, you basically have a, a group of superheroes that are working in collaboration with American government and to the point that they project that they're doing good. So there's like, you know, it's kind of like what we see now just in our own real life. You get figurines, toys. It's very capitalistic. Right. Uh, these same superheroes are actually starring in their own movies. 
and so they're promoting themselves in this very nice American way type of life but underneath that there's the very darker edge of it which starts in season one when one of our lead characters played by uh, Jack Quaid Huey loses his girlfriend to a superhero who was out of control and basically ran right through her <laughs> like literally ran through her which kind of kicked off the entire thing where Huey becomes now attached to this other guy uh, Butcher played by Carr uh, Urban who has his own uh, he has his own problems with superheroes because mm -hmm. of right. his wife his wife I mean, what were some of your favorite uh, parts of this season? I mean, I don't want to—I don't want to go back through all of this right, 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 right. to, to try just, to like make people understand what's going on. It, you either like the show or you don't. It's very, very graphic, and yeah, to me, it, that's one of my favorite things. Oh well, yeah, yeah, just super graphic. Right, and that, and that, and if we really thought about it, that's the thing. That's one thing that this article I was reading separates from like Marvel or. I mean, we saw Deadpool is like really the closest you get to having that kind of like graphic appeal, uh, but the boys takes it like ten times stronger the other direction. So they, and even it's just the sex, it's the violence, it's the gore. Um, and so, I also think too, like you made this comment before, like in real life, because we are a flawed society just to begin with. We, um, if there were superhumans out there like that's how they would act you know they know that they have these kind of god complexes and you know it, it, it would turn into a corporation it wouldn't be like it would either be that or uh remember in civil war where they were they wanted to start like um tagging superheroes mm -hmm. to keep track of them it would be something along that lines because we know how society is. You're a superhuman, so you are going to use your powers to benefit you. Um, we see too sometimes, like some of the the what's her face, um, the woman who can explode heads. Like she would do it because she was asked to by you know her adopted father. And she was, you know, you, you don't even realize she keeps it so under wraps. You don't even realize that she has that capability. Yeah, and the thing about this, especially this season, is the social impact that we see throughout the series. Like, uh, we see it in our everyday lives between the right and the left. Like, the anger, the resentment, the, the, the hatred that kind of gets spewed back and forth. And then, of course, the hot topic. So, in the boys... Uh, we kind of see a moment where Homelander, who's like basically the dark version of Superman, uh, he's speaking, he's trying to use his publicity to gain, uh, to rectify something that I know superhero, which Starlight outed him on. So mm -hmm. she's been trying, like Starlight's been trying to out the superheroes as being uh, liars and hurting people and doing this, whereas Homelander's trying to do damage control. So, but he does it his way. He he's trying to go about it his way. So at one moment he's at like this, uh, this protest, mm -hmm. and he's sitting there. And he's trying to talk to the people, and they're listening to him. One guy decides he's going to flip off at the mouth, and without hesitation, Homelander like just uses as eye rays and like blows his dude's head off. And there's like this moment of silence, and then all of a sudden, everyone else just starts like cheering. 
and Homelander is like happy because at first he's thinking, "Oh fuck, I fucked up," but now he's getting feedback from the people saying they're they're, they're like eating this up. It's they almost they're, they're like, "Oh yeah, finally he's speaking the truth. Right, he's being truthful." And right, and that's the thing. Like, you're gonna have a portion of Americans in this series that are like very much like, "Oh yeah, go ahead and like kill the opposite side that are opposing us." So it doesn't matter. Like, there's no more civil discourse. We always talk about it in real life here. Uh, there are people that are endorsing this kind of violence against people that they feel like don't belong with us anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's like the extreme part of it. So, but above that, uh, you got A Train, who's the guy that's very fast. He's like one was considered one of the fastest in the world. He's been dealing with issues of his losing his powers. And well, he well, he didn't lose his powers. They he was abusing. The, 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 the compound v, v on top of already being a superhero. Right. So it was enhancing and also kind of making him high, but it also, just like when you're abusing drugs, it was, it, it damaged his heart. Right. And so he was too afraid to run fast. So he was kind of like in retirement. He's trying to, he's working on his image too. Right. So he's trying to go back to his roots as a black man and you know, uh, trying to do something good for the community. Because he, he gets called out by even his brother early on about, you know, you're just a puppet for the government and the corporations. And so that he kind of takes that to heart and tries to go back to identifying mm -hmm. with his people. But then even when he does that, the corporation is pushing against him, saying, you know, we really don't want that. We might accept that you're kind of doing this, but we think you should do it this way. Mm -hmm. So there's this uh, tug-of-war tug between both sides. And then, of course... One moment he's expected to kind of defend this ultimately uh, racist superhero that he's with, who's on a lower level, but he's there to try to like repair this guy's image, and then that guy flips out. His brother gets hurt seriously. Then there's like now there's this like issue between the brother and A Train because you know it just it, he doesn't like where his brother gone because he found out his brother ended up killing the dude, uh, the other superhero because that A Train was so pissed off about what he did to his brother. Mm -hmm. So. He got all those social issues going on. Then, as if you catch the first episode of the season, uh, they always kind of kick off with a bang in some way or another. Mm -hmm. You have this guy that can use his power to shrink himself to about... The size know, of a tic tac. Yeah, it's very small. Uh, and, and they're partying, they're doing drugs, and you know this guy happens to be... This superhero is having to be gay, which is no problem. Uh, but he, uh, they have a weird... Uh, sexual relationship because he and his, his boyfriend uh, and I, this is the only spoiler I'm really going to give you on this but I think we discussed it before anyway uh, he shrinks himself down they're doing coke and the boyfriend decides he's going to wake about his wang flip it on the table and <laughs> again this this series is very uh, blatant and then they'll show you everything so, so he's he, inside of the penis right? so he's tiny enough to go inside his boyfriend's hole. penis and he was stimulating it from the inside, but they had just done a bunch of cocaine. So when the superhero sneezed, it brought him back to full size, and of course he blew up his boyfriend in the process. From inside his penis. Right, so, it, but it's so graphic that it's, you just can't believe it. Like, that's like the opening scene of the entire season three, mm -hmm. so... But uh, then we're introduced to probably one of my favorite characters, and that's not because he has racist backgrounds, but because it's Jensen Eccles from Supernatural. Oh, that's right. Playing Soldier Boy. I love Jensen. 
And so Soldier Boy is basically one of the OGs of the superhero uh, world. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's currently on ice, so to speak. And um, everyone thinks he's dead. And basically the plot synopsis throughout for uh, Soldier Boy is that he starts to discover once he comes back out of it, like he, one he can't control, always control his uh, nuclear a, explosion. Yeah, whatever he gets it is. a lot of um, like PTSD. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but he starts to learn about what happened and why he ended up getting put under and what happened with his crew, and he finds out he was betrayed by the rest of the superheroes in his group. Mm-hmm. And so then he starts his vendetta to kill them off one by one if they're alive. And he succeeds for most of it. Uh, then he also discovers that, uh-oh, he's somebody's father. And then we, that gets to a whole other thing. And so, uh, ultimately, the ending kind of just leaves you like with another op- op- opening for season four, obviously, because they were going to continue this. Uh, but yeah, for Butcher and Huey and them, they start to dabble into the Compound V as themselves, a temporary... Uh, super hill thing that they can take for like 24 hours it gives them the abilities of the superhero so we see some of that and in some ways it's conflicting because they have a group of them that are trying to fight the superhero narrative and now some of them are like wait a minute you've been taking this stuff to fight them like it's everything you stand against for and of course butcher is like well you know in order to beat him you got to kind of join him and that's sort of how he looks at it but there is some side effects that are concerning for them uh we don't really get to much of it i think that'll probably be something they'll, they'll focus on in season four uh just because it, we've learned that that the side effects can kill you mm-hmm. if you take too much of it uh it's affected relationships between Huey and starlight Obviously, and um, because the V twenty four or whatever it is is the temporary V that they were kind of using to help themselves, and apparently um, Annie Starlight she learns a lot about it and is like, "You're you're literally going to kill yourself if you keep using this." Right. Um, what I also find interesting too, um, I never read the um, the boys comic. I. Um, but I'm just reading a quick little article on Soldier Boy and reading it it's not like Soldier Boy all of these characters are very different in the comic and their background stories are a lot different as well and I um, I'm just wondering like what I want it makes me wonder what direction they're gonna go because Soldier Boy's background in the comic is a lot different like there's two Soldier Boys like there's the original Soldier Boy and there's another Soldier Boy both of them who were made during World War II um so and I kind of give you a breakdown real quick uh, Soldier Boy is almost like the equivalent of Captain America that's sort of like the impression they give you only like he's Obviously, much darker than uh, Captain America, mm-hmm. but that's sort of like what he represents. To Actually, I'm sorry, there's three Soldier Boys in the comic book. Sorry. So is it just different stages? I guess. Um. Because we kind of learned that with Captain America, we've seen like whether it's multiverse where Agent Carter became Captain America, or uh, like when um, Falcon 
took over Captain America. So is it similar to that, or is it the same guy? It's because they're making these superheroes, it's like somebody's predecessor. Okay. And and somebody's like, I don't want to say son because they're making them. Um, but apparently the angle that they went in the series is completely different than what they went in the... Um, I'm going to give you a big spoiler. Like, in the series, they reveal that Homelander is Soldier Boy's son. son. Right. Where in the Herogasm <laughs> uh, comic, Soldier Boy would just basically rape Homelander and use him as his plaything every year. Um because he was trying to get into the seven right so it, it's it's I'm, I've heard the comic books are, are just I mean this is a dark series as it is in a very graphic series but I've heard that the comics kind of like blow, this out blow it up and then it's hard to take these um it, it's just like you know Marvel and X-Men and stuff like it's really hard to take all these years and turn them into a story. So, Soldier, addressing Soldier Boy number three's sexual relationship with Homelander in the Herogasm comic series, Eric Kripke confirmed it would not be adapted into the television series. Um, so, instead, Jensen is portraying the original Soldier Boy number one, right. introduced in the Barbary Coast arc of the boys. But he's not really, like, the father of Homelander in the story. Like, they just kept making Soldier Boys. And then by Soldier Boy number three, he was trying to, like, get in with Homelander. So they just kind of made something up. Yeah. Because they have to take all all these stories and make them and adapt them. For TV. They didn't make it too complicated. Yeah. They just kept it simple. Yeah. And yeah, so, like, there is a character later in the series this year that ends up perishing, and I've read that they're probably going to make another one to fill in the role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say who it is because I don't want to give anything away, but uh, going to your point about the multiple soldier boys, they're going to supposedly re do this particular character because really you can't see who they are anyway but <laughs> well, it seems like if you saw like the from the flashbacks right it may not be the same person anyway right you, yeah and that's a good point um so on top of that with the superheroes doing their thing and butcher and Huey kind of doing their thing uh you do have some lower level humans who are a part of this group uh, the boys that they're trying to, you know, work against the, the superheroes. They, one of the superheroes is actually on their team, a uh, legit woman. And uh, there comes a point where she actually loses her powers. And she's kind of happy anyway because uh, she kind of hated being a superhero because she could get very violent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I forget the name of the, uh, the, the Spanish guy that is in their group. Um, you mean French guy? Frenchy. Frenchy? Yep, Frenchy. Is mm-hmm. he French? Yes. He looks Spanish. He sounds French and speaks French, okay. so he's Frenchy. That's why they call him Frenchy. Is he the one they call Mother's Milk? 
No, that's the black guy. Okay. What the fuck they call him that? All right. Uh, anyway, mm. uh, I can't always keep their names straight. Oh, my God. My fault. I'll say, so Frenchie has a girlfriend who's a superhero, and she temporarily loses her powers, and they're kind of happy. They, they want to kind of leave the group and go live their life because they're in love and all that, but then they get attacked, and they both almost die, and she doesn't have her powers at that point, so uh, she rethinks it, and they end up shooting her up with this... I don't know if it's the same... Is it, mm, no, Annie went and got real V. That's right, because... Yeah, she wanted to get back to it. So they re-shot her up. She got her powers back. And I think, like... Isn't her name Yoki? Or Yuki? Something like that. Um, yeah. At first, because she was upset, she and her brother had been... Kamiko. Um, Kamiko. Yeah. Yuki. What? So Kamiko... Racist. I know. Well, no, Yuki is on um, Joe Bob. Uh, Kamiko... Um, <laughs> She was upset because she and her brother had been tortured for so many years and they were experimented on and stuff. But then she realized how still, even though it was a little traumatic and she was really um, happy to be able to be important to the group. Because at first she was always feeling like she was the monster. She kept saying that I'm, I am the monster, but then when she needed her powers, she was strong, but not strong enough kind of thing. Yeah, her character is a lot like comparison to the early versions of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch and the Marvel series when they were used, created and used as a way to fight the Avengers and stuff. So she was kind of like created out of like animosity and as a, as a weapon, but mm -hmm. she's coming to terms and coming back around to her humanity and everything else. So that's kind of nice to see. She's a fun character to root for. Uh, like I said, Soldier Boy, uh, I really like what uh, Jensen Eccles did with the character. He was totally looks different with all that beard going on. I love it. <laughs> I love uh, it. Yeah, of I course she does. I love it. <laughs> I like seeing his ass. Oh, my God. I mean, that was, you got full Jensen Eccles ass on um, Amazon. So I was very pleased with that. And the funny thing is, is I remember being excited, like, last year when they said he would be joining the boys, but then I forgot about it, and then I saw him, and I'm like, Yeah, first time they showed so I didn't even recognize him, because he had far more hair. He was almost like Daniel Bryan from mm -hmm. WWE. Uh, then once he shifted it down a little bit, I was like, oh, that's Jensen. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's a really great character, and uh, so I'm looking forward to what's going on, if he's going to come back and reprise that role, which I would assume he would, mm -hmm. uh, based on what we saw in the finale, so... Yeah, uh, really hype. I love this series. Um, I love that it takes it as far as it can, mm -hmm. you know, because it's rated. It's basically rated R, mm -hmm. rated X in some <laughs> some <laughs> places, uh, but it's really enjoyable. Like it's it's definitely not for kids, um, but uh, for us grown up adults, adult kids, we like that kind of stuff. So so far with between the three seasons, which one has um, impressed you the most? Well, I, I like them all, probably for various different reasons. Um, I thought in season two, Stormfront was an interesting character to bring forward. You found out more about her. Uh, it, it's kind of funny, because the first season is more of like the feeling around to see how it was going to go. Uh, and it, Each season seems to kind of focus on one particular character. So season one is like Hugh. Mm -hmm. Hugh's, you know, his, basically his journey path, right path throughout this and then and butcher as well but then we get to season two and it becomes a little bit more about the backstory the the seven they call themselves the main superheroes 
uh, with Stormfront coming in. Now season three, we have even further back stuff with Soldier Boy. So and right so now, now, everything has been involved with the government for so many years. Like, right. These experiments and so I, I I agree with you. I think every season has um has its strong suits and again agree with you. It's kind of like uh, the one thing I loved about um, American Horror Story is they they didn't just kind of keep trying to repeat themselves every year, uh, keep the same story going on. Uh, but you could tell the, they said the first season because they didn't have any kind of like con contract. They were just doing everything on the fly. Hmm. You can kind of feel like with the boys, they were trying to find their footing. They were trying to flush out the interesting characters and find what people were interested in and, and were responding to. Right. Yeah, so I think really right now, I like all of them obviously. Season 3, I think it's because it's fresh in my mind, is probably my favorite to this point, but you know, next season might be my favorite at that point. It just depends because it, it keeps growing and growing, so I, I really like what they're doing. I like anything Jensen Eccles is in. <laughs> <laughs> Now if they just bring your other boy in and some other character, that'd be hilarious. Well, he's busy being Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, that's that didn't really resonate with me. I'm sorry. Which purposely they dropped the whole martial arts aspect of it, which I thought was a mistake. Not that I expected him to be able to do that, but uh, they tried to make it a more serious thing with Texas Ranger with him. But, uh, yeah, not the same. Sorry. Right. Do not pass go. All right, in the next two blocks of music, we got some Patria from Grand Sounds Promotions, brand new stuff some from Queer, as well as Am Himmel, new stuff from Kation, Massacre, and here's brand new Zayon in Syrac Seas.
Introducing the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast, available today on your favorite podcast platform. Metal Tavern is a heavy metal, rock music, and movie podcast where they discuss movies, music, current events, and feature live interviews with bands, artists, and YouTube personalities. They spotlight independent labels and feature the underground bands the label represents. Again, that's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Stream it today on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, YouTube, and at the website MetalTavernRadio.com. Many episodes up for you to listen to already, and make sure you subscribe to be notified of future releases. That's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Go listen, download, and subscribe today. You can also connect on Facebook. Search Metal Tavern Radio and follow the guys on Twitter at DJ Anubis88 and DJ underscore Nico Catfreak about penises at this point in my life were that they were these noodly things that hung between a guy's legs they pee from them and you shouldn't look at your cousin JD's when you guys are getting changed to go swimming like that's all the information I had about penises and now one's gonna go in my mouth okay I knew that sex was a thing a penis would go in my vagina someday but that was it's my vagina like I don't have taste buds down there or whatever Like, stick whatever you want down there. I can't taste it, okay? So I was like, who cares about my vagina? But my mouth, that's where candy goes. Like, I can't believe you would put a dick there. I was devastated. And you, like, you, you kind of go, maybe I don't have to do it. Maybe it's something that not every girl does. And then you realize it's kind of your destiny as a woman. Like, you're going to do it. You know what I realized you have to do it is when I found out it was one of the bases. Because I knew home plate was sex. And if I ever wanted to have sex because I wanted to, I don't know, make a family someday, I was going to have to, you can't skip a base. If you want kids, you're going to have to suck some dicks on the way to those kids. (laughs) That's the last thing my kids want me doing.
Jump into our rock block. Got ready for that? Sure. Yeah. Got some Derek Sherinian, new stuff from him. Charles Sangor, provided by Against PR. Annabelle, provided by VR Finland. Been a while since we had anything provided by Oh, them. wow. Uh, brand new stuff from Ben Bloodzicker. It's actually, sent, he sends me stuff personally, so he does collaborations. He's done collaborations with, like Liv Christine from. Um, uh, formerly of uh, Levi's. Mm -hmm. So he's got a new track with a person named Fort Nimmer. I, I don't know, I'm just going to say Nimmer because it's hard to pronounce. Okay. <laughs> it's called Isolate. And then we got another uh, band that sent us uh, some material called Indus Valley Kings. And they're going to kick off our rock block. This is Demon Beast. And we'll be back for Neko's Pick of the Week. All right.
Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 to noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Don't put them down, this arrogant. 
Get back to work and I go lay my bones in Charles Sagnor, Delivery Man. I can relate to that. <laughs> you are the Delivery Man. I am. All right, so we're here to Neko's Pick of the Week, and it's a little bit different, but we've talked about the past bands that have sort of incorporated hip-hop and rap through rock and metal, and but in this case, your particular pick focuses more on the hip-hop aspect but because of their history with like working with like guys like Kerry King and Slayer and whatnot doing riffs throughout some of their uh, tracks um, you chose whom? Sabotage by the BC Boys. So I think for me uh, this came out in 94 and it was just this really groundbreaking music video. I mean maybe not everyone thought it was ground, but I did. I thought it was really clever, and I... Oh, the video is amazing. Mm -hmm. It's been listed as in the list of 100 greatest guitar tracks um, in Rolling Stone and on VHS's greatest songs of the 90s. Um, same thing with Pitchfork Media. It's been on the top 200 tracks of the 90s and on in Rolling Stone's 500 greatest songs of all time. So it's a pretty important song just in general with music i mean it's kind of interesting and funny the the video itself is kind of like a 
uh, Starsky and Hutch kind of like... Uh, yeah, I, the first thing I thought when I remember seeing the video was immediately I was thinking Hawaii Five-0. Mm. You know, something of that nature. Starsky and Hutch. Uh, a lot of these cop shows where they always had them doing something crazy. Like, basically, Sabotage... Uh, the video is a lot like a, a trailer you would see for a show. Mm -hmm. So the way it would be like a commercial, for, right? Oh, this is coming on at seven o'clock tonight, right? And it says it's 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 an homage to all the seventies crime drop dramas, like uh, you were saying, Hawaii, Hawaii Five O, Me, Starsky and Hutch, Beretta, Streets of San Francisco, and um, it's really kind of funny because it pops up like. Uh, credits like it'll, yep, it, it would yep. say like uh this is coachy right, and right. this is the rookie and this is the chief yeah. and he's like pounding on the remember? right yeah <laughs> it starts out the first part of the trailer you know it's like got the car going over the hill getting some air and then it's like all of a sudden the sabotage uh logo appears upon the screen and then they get into, as you said, they start introducing each character, and they're like sliding across the hood of the car. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And busting so down doors, trying to get into. And they got the big mustache. mustaches <laughs> and the really bad wigs. Porn stash one. <laughs> but it's they got it got a lot of critical reception because it's saying, you know, this is the '90s, and there was a lot of uh, experiment experimentation going on with different like. Uh, commingling of music styles and, mm -hmm. and the Beasties, you know, they're from Brooklyn. They were always like into rap, but they really also had a punk influence too. If you would even listen to some of their older stuff, um, it wasn't just 100% like a rap album. It was like rap with a little bit of a punk style to it. I it, don't. What album did that come off? Do you remember? This was Ill Communication. Uh, Sabotage was. And then after Sabotage was the Intergalactic... Um, okay, so... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I was thinking of um, Lice of the Ill, but no. Um, so, yeah, one of the cool things about Beastie Boys that I've always liked, and I found out through their... It wasn't Lice of the Ill, but it was probably the follow-up, I believe, um, with Check It Out was on there. Mm -hmm. And I remember going through my cassette. I had it on cassette. I was going through the inlay there. And I noticed that they were playing the instruments. That like they actually played the mm -hmm. instruments, the bass, the guitar, the, the drums, drums, everything. Yeah. So obviously they have like you know uh, turntables and stuff like that. But I was very impressed at the time, and this is early '90s. It's like wow, these guys are actually playing their own beats, mm -hmm. and uh, they're not relying on samples so much. They do do samples, but it wasn't like they were creating their own beats. So obviously, Sabotage, I think, comes out a year after, well, after this record, I believe. Um, and it just stood out. Like you said, the video was a big key to that. Uh, a lot of people gravitated toward it. It was a good song, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but just, they were very innovative. And like even within the hip-hop community, I've seen docs where like legitimate rappers and hip-hop artists are like crediting Beastie Boys for not just trying to cultural appropriate their scene they were actually contributing to it and being a, a big influence in it and there was a lot of respect uh with the hip-hop community with the beastie boys and whatnot so whether or not rap artists could like early 90s could like whether or not they could say 
Oh, you know, these aren't these aren't like vanilla ice or uh That's the thing is they weren't anything. trying to be like hip hop rappers. They right. were trying to do their own thing, which made it really endearing because they which were was creative. Early on with License Ill, like the party to fight, uh also uh No Sleep in Brooklyn. These were these were songs that both uh stood out plus like if you ever watched a video for We Like to Fight the Party, uh Carrie King shows up. Uh huh in that video so uh it's just really fun to see that they were incorporating some of these like like who the fuck would have thought carrie king would have showed up in the beastie mm -hmm. boys you know what i mean uh so it's just really cool to see that and then of course the fact that they play their own music and now with this they were very innovative with the video as you said they were very clever about that how they marketed themselves the song alone has been in so many different movies and tv shows just like i'm kind of looking at some of the references of where it's been played um it was the music video for sabotage directly influenced the iconic opening sequence of train spotting even the band fish covered the song um it's been they were on saturday night live um the song was on futurama it was on guitar hero 3 um <laughs> It was on the 2009 Star Trek film, played on a car stereo by an adolescent James T. Kirk. Um, it was covered by a hardcore punk band, Cancer Bats, for their album in 2010. Like, it's a pretty big song. It's, it is, I, I don't think they realized that they were just trying to make a, a clever music video, but they also really created a song that you know, the music video really kind of dictates, or, or um, it it matches the song really well. Like right. you're thinking about a car chase, you're thinking about something, you know. So, the honestly, this song is not anything personal to me. It's not like I have like the, but it's an important song just in general in music. And I think what made me want to pick this, we were out somewhere and the song came on, and I was like. I just hadn't heard it in a while. I was like, I forgot how great this song is. Yeah, uh, you know, especially when it came out early '90s. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's again there's there's this crossroads between Faith No More a few years earlier, dabbling with the song Epic, and then '94 mm -hmm. Corn sort of encompassed the rock and metal with hip hop. Mm -hmm. Beasties were on the other side of that, where they were incorporated. They had always been incorporating like rock and, and metal riffs into some of their music but they were mainly a hip-hop band so uh it's just funny because they kind of do go under the radar i mean we're not going to sit here and say they are a rock band or a metal band or by any means but they were one of those bands that helped cross over that that genre that began with you know limp biscuit and corn taking that taking the baton basically and just taking it on the other direction so instead of really focusing on hip-hop uh, limp biscuit and corn kind of focused more on the rock metal aspect but limp kind of went more into the rap mm -hmm. area than even corn did so they were a big influence i think uh, on a lot of that stuff so yeah you have to give them their credit where credit is due yeah so without further ado let's get into sabotage by the beastie boys attention please Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before.
In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow, and we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, Julio Jump. Let's welcome DJ Neko's pick of the week.
Yeah, I know, and I kind of figured, you know, it's not really your biggest style of stuff, but that's Derek Sharanian. He's been around for quite a while. Uh, worked with a few different bands. He's a keyboardist, obviously, and guitarist. So, uh, yeah, so that's his latest, Seven Seas, from his newest record. That was not bad at all. I liked it. Yeah, very uh, relaxing and mellow. So we've got a lot to unpack here because... Um, a lot. Well, I, I just want to preface this with... We're just delivering information about these these movies. Please don't take it as one way or another. We are libertarians, and we like to look at things objectively. We have friends of all walks of life, um, so we're not coming at it any particular way, but we wanted to discuss the topic because it's something that's been in discussion for a while now. So we watched um, What is a Woman? which is a very conservative documentary and we also watched another more liberal documentary Transhood just to kind of like get both sides on all aspects of you know the topic of transgender and um you know gender conformity gender norms gender um fluidity am I saying that right yeah fluidity I fluidity Flu and fluidity fluidity anyway the reason we wanted to watch it, honestly, was because, first of all, you can't watch it unless you spend $14 to get access to the Daily Wire for a month. And we watched it, and I think we canceled because we just literally wanted to watch this documentary. Which, before we go on, I just want to point out. Sure. Uh, whatever reasons there are that what is a woman I need to preface a lot of this so what is a woman is directed by Matt Walsh he's a very uber conservative guy has his own views on transgenderism uh, etc because of those conservative values now what is a woman is only available on the Daily Wire their website their app whereas transhood is was done in two th 2020. That's on HBO Max. Right, that's on HBO Max. So sometimes we see these streaming services cut out things they don't want to be there, and it's kind of a shame in some ways. I get some of it, but some of it I don't get. Uh, Transit currently on Rotten Tomatoes with seven reviews from the critics is 86%. Uh, an audience score with 50 uh, reviews has it at 16. I can't tell you the demographics. I don't know. Uh, meanwhile, What is a Woman has four reviews from the critics, which is hasn't been rated, but they all gave them the tomatoes. So apparently those particular four individuals liked it. They just don't have a score on it. The audience has about 5,000 ratings. So that means people are actually seeing this. And they have to, to actually pay for it. This right. is not something you can get on Netflix. I mean, you have to just sign up for the Daily Wire to see this. But again, it's it's. I can't give you the demographics. It could be 5,000 conservatives. I don't know. It's at 97% audience score. Now, uh, what was I going to get to here? Um, so basically, we'll start with what is a woman. Well, um yeah, okay, go ahead. So I was just going to say, because Matt Walsh is very conservative, and he's really 
he's going around to lots of people who are in the LGBTQ community asking what is a woman, and he wants just, like, a black and white definition of what is a woman. Now, like, for me, if you... This is how I feel, like, if you are going in for some kind of, like, medical procedure, and even though you are a trans man, but you still have woman body parts, I feel like you do need to tell your doctor, like, yes, I'm, I am medically, biologically still a woman, but I identify as a man. You need to tell your doctor. But I think what Matt was trying to do more was kind of like probe these people and nobody wanted to give him a black and white answer but because he's super conservative he was really like just come on tell me what give me give me your textbook definition of what is a woman and there there he was speaking to college professors just random people in the streets and for me again i i found some of these I don't know. He was he was being kind of confrontational, but without being confrontational. Who, Matt? Matt. He wasn't like being aggressively no. confrontational. He was just kind of like standing there, like being being uh. Here, here Matt. I don't know how I don't know how to put it. He's he was sarcastic. Thank you, sarcastic. He was like really trying to get a rise out of these people, which makes it a little bit more entertaining because you you see he is purposely trying to piss people off. But I say I don't think that's really what he's doing. Uh, this is this mis misconception of what's going on. Matt Walsh wants clarification about what a woman is. He does so, and sometimes in a sarcastic manner, because what happens is he has a, there's one moment in a doc where he's talking to a, uh, a professor of a college who specializes in Wimber, women gender studies. He's asking this guy, "What is a woman?" The first thing he gets back, and this is something that ha constant, constantly happens throughout this doc, is they start saying, well, why are you asking? You're a fucking professor. The idea is he's trying to get answers. Even if Matt Walsh doesn't believe that transgender should exist or disagrees with what they are, he's looking for answers. So I get it. There's some bias with Matt in this with his own side of things, but... If you watch the doc, he's actually asking real questions. He's not getting mad at people. He's not cursing at mm -mm, them. No, he's not. He's not doing anything. He gets a little sarcastic with certain things because, again, he's probably getting frustrated because he's asking legitimate people, whether it's trans people, professors, psychologists, doctors. He goes through actually interviewing people who should know what that answer is. Now, for me... I, I was kind of joking with you saying like I was kind of getting annoyed I'm like just somebody tell me what a woman is nobody's like giving him an answer everybody's kind of like floating around the answer he wants to know your definition literally he's like I don't care what your definition is tell me what your definition is and nobody wants to like just come out and say a woman is someone who has a vagina if, if that's your definition but nobody would give him like a straight answer now to that point I just read an article about this because, you know, documentaries are heavily edited and they're saying that there was a lot of heavy editing going on in this where there were conversations taken out to, you know, perpetuate his agenda. It is his documentary. He is trying to get his point across. 
And there were people saying that, yes, we did give real answers that were not included in the documentary or we things were taken out of context, which happens a lot in documentaries, especially we know this is a very right-leaning documentary. But this documentary has caused such a stir that we've got like the New York Times, the New York Post, we've got the Washington Post, the Baltimore Sun, we've got all the major CNN, everybody is talking about this documentary because it's like stirring up so many emotions in both sides, the liberal side and the conservative side. You know, the conservatives are calling this documentary like a win, like we're just, we're here to prove to you that this is me talking as a conservative, that they're feeling like they're being um, justified with their beliefs in transgender because they're, they're seeing this documentary and they're taking it for what it is, minus the, you know, thousands of hours that were edited out. And they're really like, look, Matt, Matt proves that these people don't know anything. But then you have, again, this is where I said the liberal side, there are people who said they were on this and were interviewed by Matt or their stuff was taken out of context. So my question to that is, when they came out and said this, did they ever give an answer like on publication of what that what a woman is, or did they not answer that? I don't remember what it said. Hold on, let me go back to well, the New York Well, don't worry about it. We can get that later, but... That's my point. Like, if if you felt like Matt wasn't giving you your due in that doc, did they ever come back? Because we know at one point he's he's actually talking to a politician who is trying to pass laws for equality with transgender, which is fine. I'm all for it. But Matt again brings up something about the bathroom issue, to which this is something we saw with a couple of these people that he was interviewing. Uh, they kept asking him, well, why are you going there? Why are you not worrying about everything else? It's like it's not like Matt's not worried about everything else. But he's asking a question about a specific thing that's a hot topic. The bathroom issue where some women who have to share a bathroom with a transgender don't feel comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. So he's asking his guy, you know, what about what's going on here? Why does women do women who are equally entitled to their freedoms of their speech and how they feel about transgenders sharing those bathrooms, why aren't they taken seriously? So, again, this guy, probably a nice guy, means well, didn't want to answer the question. So he's like, well, you know what? We're, I don't like where this interview is going, so I'm just going to leave. He didn't want to answer it. Did not want to answer it. The one thing that and I... And even when he says at the end, Matt, he's like, I just want to know what a woman is. And, like, the representative for this politician says, well, you're not going to get an answer to that. I'm like... That's the whole point. That's, that's what the that's what the documentary. And so you're about. on film. You're on film. So if you're saying that Matt's being disingenuous about it, you're not being uh, honest yourself, mm-hmm. because your actions speak louder than words. Just like the woman that was, uh, I think she's just a therapist. I, I don't. No, it was Doctor Doctor Miriam. Woman? Oh no, that's the other. That's Forcier. Is that her last name? Oh, hold on, she's in here. Dr. Michelle Forcier, uh, she's a dean at Brown University Medical School. She refuses to concede that there is such a thing as reality and ends up talking about um, suicidal chickens. Remember that? Remember Matt was like, well... But that's not my biggest issue. My biggest issue was Matt asked her at one point about the drugs that she administers to young kids, which is Well, she doesn't. She's a a dean. She doesn't. Okay, but... But she was saying... I, I get what you're saying. The, he the was chemical, asked, crash, crash, chemical castration. castration, yes. Yeah, the, the drugs that he brought up, and he was asking her about it, and she's like, I don't understand why you're going there with this, cause that, but that's a part of it. And so, like, the minute he starts diving into another part of what it means to be transgender, or the uh, 
the things you have to take to become transgender, like the drugs and we all know about the hormones and everything else, some of this stuff is used for chemical castration for pedophiles. So Matt's basically saying this sounds kind of like a dangerous thing to be given to kids mm-hmm. and young kids. So he's really just trying to get an answer, and she's, like, dodging the questions. I Again, get- you're on film. If, if you're trying to be honest and come out later with your own, you know, publication on an article that, you know, wasn't representative of what I felt, you should have stated it. Like, it was a direct question. It's not, not anything that's really hard to answer. And I also think, too, um, a lot of people in general, just when you are feeling like you're, like, confrontational and you don't feel comfortable, you don't really give your most eloquent speech. And I think, you know, these people agreed to this documentary because they thought they were going to have a lot, like, a platform to kind of talk about things, but then they got you know intimidated or or upset about Matt's questions so maybe they had more to say or maybe they did say more but it wasn't it just didn't come out quite as as great as it did but one thing that um there's a there's two points that really kind of hit me besides the chemical castration thing because again that's one thing that kind of worries me too three points crap I got three points so we did speak to a female to male transgender man who went through the entire you know process he had seven surgeries Mm -hmm. and he felt like he was never given um the full warning or the full like information that he needed from his doctors and i can kind of attest to this because like you know, my mom was recently very sick with leukemia, and they're they're giving they're literally giving drugs to my mother, saying you have like twenty four percent chance of living, and that really concedes to your probably seventy six percent chance of dying if these drugs don't kill you. But this is your only chance, kind of thing, and you just kind of sign your rights away because you're just so desperate and I think that's kind of what uh, this gentleman was saying like I really wanted to transition and I found really great surgeons and I really knew I, I did my research I wasn't just going to some chop shop in Mexico I was going to top of the line surgeons but because these surgeries are not they're not like perfected they're still kind of experimental and they're still you know they're very superficial so nobody really has a hundred percent information on them so you don't you go in thinking that it's going to be perfect and change your life but in reality you have these surgeries and it doesn't go exactly the way you think it's going to go and he was really saying like i you know i had the plastic surgery to create a penis but you know unfortunately pubic hair grows in my urethra now and they really didn't know that was going to be a side effect but it happened so he's he really wants young trans people to hear his story so they understand there are a lot of risks involved with with taking the hormones with going through the surgeries and he feels like a lot of people just don't hear that they don't hear the scary side because it's important to be yourself and it's important to like you know express yourself how you want to but if you are going to fully transition 
it is a medical procedure. Seven surgeries is a lot of surgeries and surgery always comes with complications. Even a simple surgery like, I don't know, getting your tonsils out, something that they do millions of times, it comes, it can possibly come with complications. And he was really stressing that he wishes that, you know, the young children who are starting their transition or the, you know, young adults who are starting their transition and they want to take um, and, and move forward, that they understand that it does come with its own risks. My second thing was, um, oh God, I lost my, I lost my spot. So there was another um, doctor, Dr. Miriam Grossman, and um, she really says it's important to separate the people who have genuine deep discomfort in their bodies versus the recent spike in people who suddenly are coming out as gender fluid or trans because um, she feels like a lot of younger people are, which, I mean, we see how it is with advertising. She feels like a lot of younger people are very um, influenced by what's kind of like cool. I don't know if that's the right way to put but popular. And the thing that kind of, um, the thing that kind of uh, hurts with that, hold on, I gotta find the, the quote, um, is because it's starting to, everybody it's making it to a point where it's not important to be male or female right like you're gender fluid and again that's fine but so much is going on about like the gender like fluidity push that if there's nothing special about the two sexes and nothing is meaningless then what really are trans people transitioning to so that was kind of her point she's she's like it, you know i i recognize that there are people who are not comfortable in their own bodies and i also recognize that there's this like whole mania going on with with uh the children who feel like they are a little different but what would be trans if you don't think that gender is important and that's kind of like what she she was saying that to matt like if, if we, and that was the, um, the lady with the glasses and the red hair, right. she was saying like, you know, it's important to recognize there is, um, kind of like a body dysmorphia, but why are you transitioning if, if gender is not important anymore? And that's what she really wanted to understand. And I'm glad that Matt put her on because I know she was a little bit more conservative just like him, but she really, that was a good, like, I, I, I never thought of that because I, I don't have, you know, body dysmorphia like that. So I would never consider it, but she was really trying to make the point, like if, if being a man or being a woman is not important, then why would even being trans be important? Cause you're not moving forward to something different. Yeah. I'm not gonna, I, I do understand that point. I'm not, but I, you know, again, it doesn't really bother me so much that people want to change their sex. Um, the only things I've ever really stood fast on is, you know, biologically, and this is something if you're, if people aren't familiar, Blair White is a, a, a trans who, 
Male to female. Right, who after probably 18 or so changed her sex over to a female. Uh, but she's very open about how, in the end, uh, she's still biologically a male, but she's now a female. She identifies as a female. She looks like a female. Looks great, by the way, but... And she's comp- 100% transitioned. Right, right. Uh, but, you know, the point about gender and how we're, like, supposedly non-binary, etc., like, there are females out there, straight females, who will say the same thing. They don't call themselves women. They just say non-binary. So your point about that makes a lot of sense. Uh, why would you need to feel the need to change? But to me, that's just if you want to feel more comfortable in a female's body, then great. Um, there's a, rev- a review for What is a Woman on FilmThread.com by Dante uh, J. And really, I'm just going to read this because this is kind of just gives my take on this whole thing from top to bottom. So bear with me. So it says... Regarding the original question posed, what is a woman, Walsh never gets an answer. And considering the state of the world now, he probably never will. Every professional who has asked this question had a momentary look of fear in their face. Because to say anything that is not what is being pushed is to risk your career, reputation, and social standing. It's much easier to ignore the topic and put it out of your mind than to say what you think. Ultimately, as divisive as the issue is, the only real winners in this debate are the pharmaceutical companies. On average, per individual, the cost of transitioning is over fifty grand. Oh, wow. For children, puberty blockers are approximately 1200 per month for injections and can range from 4500 to 18000 for an implant. And none of this is covered by insurance or health care programs. And we programs. saw that in transhood. We'll get to that. Okay. This is a billion-dollar industry, so it makes sense that these drug companies don't want their customer base to dry up. Would I recommend What is a Woman? I would very much recommend everyone watch this and make your own decisions. There are times when Walsh gets a little corny, but overall he presents many facts opposing or, and opposing arguments that are at least somewhat to think about. I get that those who know Walsh either agree with him or hate him. And based on that, those who don't like him will probably not watch this movie anyway. On a personal note, I want to end with this. Many so-called film critics chose not to review what is a woman for fear of backlash from the LBGT community. I want to call these people out as cowards. Our job is to review movies, good or bad, not based what we review on our political leanings. This sort of bullshit is killing the film industry right now. I'm calling on actual critics to start showing more guts and integrity with the understanding that the only reason people even read our reviews is for our honesty. Uh, that was a little more personal for the uh, article writer than it was just in general with the, the topic. But, again, I've been telling people, like, I know, that's why we prefaced this with Bill, Wal- Bill Wal- or Matt Walsh being a, a conservative, that there is a little bit of bias. You made a point that there are some people who were in this that are saying that some things were left out. That's Poss- in the New York Times article, right. and I can't see But I could argue that New York Times is a totally liberal paper. They, they are, but that, that's what I'm saying, like... If you want to get more of the liberal side of it, read the New York Times article because you hear, like, their side of, you know... And that's fine. Things were edited, blah, blah, blah. But that's why I'm asking this, like, when they put that article out, did they even actually answer the question at hand? See, that's what it comes down to. You can sit there and say, Matt didn't include this, this, or this, but... If you have an opportunity with the New York Times to set the record straight... a huge newspaper, you should. Right. So if you have that opportunity, then answer the question. If you didn't do it in that that newspaper article, then you're dodging the question still. 
So whether it's out of fear that you don't want people to turn on you, and I point to Blair White because Blair White is a trans woman who challenges some of the stuff that we oh, hear. Oh, we were watching that she watched what is what what is a woman and she was going to the pride parade asking you know some of her contemporaries like the question and people were getting upset with her too yeah uh, she got actually attacked by liberals a couple times she wore a mag hat as a test uh down in california and like i don't know if she's conservative or not. she might be conservative i don't know but uh she likes to see the reactions and to but one liberal woman threw a cup of uh, alcohol on her interface and stuff as passing by and ran off a uh, guy who wearing a pink hat during one of the marches grabbed her hat and then stomped on her hand breaking her nail to the point that it like oh it went back to the cuticle ow wait wait yeah it took half of it off so so that that's the violence that we're seeing against people just even just showing up in a hat she was just not even that's not even we don't know Keep in mind... She was just literally trying to see what people would do. Right. She went to one part of Hollywood, didn't have any problems. In fact, she said there were other gay and trans people that were very respectful. They didn't agree with the hat, but they were very respectful. Then, on the other hand, you've got probably what looked like either cis people or maybe a lesbian. I don't know. I can't... All I know is a woman with colored hair that threw something in her face and ran off. I don't know, you know, the sexual orientation. Could have been a straight woman. Who knows? Uh, but clearly they took issue with the hat. And that, and but that's the thing, like we live in a society now where even if like you and I don't even like Trump and we didn't vote for Trump and but like I have people on both sides of these political spectrums that are barking back and forth at each other and most of the time we can just get along and be agree to disagree about whatever topic it is, but from time to time we see in the media and everything how violent it can become and one of the problems that we see and you can again point to matt and say well matt's uber conservative he's probably not being fair-minded about it but and, that, and that's a valid stance to have because uh, we do see that because i've seen it with the amber heard depth thing where still now nbc is starting to come out with a doc that's basically slanted in a pro amber direction and uh so Without, of course, that's a little bit different just in terms of people who paid attention to the trial are going to come out with a different point of view rather and be, than... But what you're saying, though, is people who make any kind of documentary can can right. really put it in the I'm sure transhood is very it is. one-directional. So, But I, I, did, I did find some interesting things about transhood, which we'll now get into, because... I think the thing um, with what is a woman is it really focused on mostly adults right transhood followed uh, over five years children who were saying that they were well what is a woman also did deal with some kids because it was he was matt was always asking like what age is too young or too old to but he wasn't interviewing children right right right. transhood we literally are seeing what children are going through now this one was directed by Sharon Lease, and it was interesting because I I think sometimes like you're looking at your your Rotten Tomatoes and stuff. I think sometimes the people who are uh, the most angry or they who knows 
it wasn't that bad of a documentary to warrant like what was it 15 percent or whatever because 16, yeah. it wasn't a bad documentary it was shot well there was lots of information there was lots of interactions with the family and there was a lot of real stuff going on because you're seeing how when a child says i am gonna transition how it affects the parents you see how um sometimes we saw one family where we felt like the mother was really kind of pushing it on the child Dora avery yes yeah so what what transhood really wanted to do though was to kind of give it to give you information at different like years like different ages of children and for for me i said this to dj anubis if i had a kid and they told me that they were trans i would 100 percent be fine with it but i'm not comfortable giving a child medicine that is kind of experimental and not 100 percent you know backed until like they are old enough like aka 18 to make these decisions you i mean you can't get a piercing or a tattoo until you're over 18 in maryland you can't buy cigarettes until you're 21 you can't buy alcohol you can't sign contracts until you're 18 i i think jumping into um something that is completely life-altering when they're only like 11 is too scary for me like i could not do that to a child because number one i have no idea how well it's gonna work number two just like we were talking about earlier it's um the chemical castration what is that gonna do is that gonna mess something up is that gonna cause cancer is that that's my fear but i would always support someone or my child and say yes you know dress the way you want, act the way you want, do what you want. I'm not going to make that decision because you are my child and I love you and I don't trust this medication right now. I don't because as we've seen with other, we used to watch Howard Stern and listen to Howard Stern a lot and he had a lot of um, trans women on there and they were talking about like, the top surgery getting implants and everything is fine but the bottom surgery is not quite refined and um we've we we heard from a few of them who've said it, it just it didn't go it's not as good and it's and they actually kind of regretted it so i don't know if i could just be like okay to my 11 year old child i feel comfortable giving you medication that i don't know is okay and you know what this will this will kind of like come full circle this is what people were saying about the covid vaccines and that's why you have to be like okay these people are just really uncomfortable with something so that's just my stance i am uncomfortable giving a young person who's not even 18 yet medication that we don't know what's going to happen we don't know if it increases your cancer rate we don't know if it, it shortens your lifespan so Watching Transhood, was there one person or um, one uh, child that really kind of, uh, for me it was Lena. Lena um, seemed so sure of herself and she 
was gorgeous and just had great friends and she was very open and honest with her boyfriend and everything about she's trans and you know they of course they're teenagers so boyfriends come and go but it seemed like she was very open and honest with her her parents and everyone and she was just she, she was a star for me like I would love I mean this was two years ago I would love to see more on Lena maybe she did make it she wanted to be a model yeah uh, look all four individuals that were in this are likable um, you know there's no like you know bad kid or anything like that. oh I'm not saying they're bad I'm just saying Lena just was a standout for me well Lena yeah but Lena was a little older we we don't know Lena's story prior to being 15 that's part of the issue with the dog because I've read a backstory about Lena's uh, parents being divorced and that that turmoil with the divorce might have like caused Lena to sort of like doubt herself or whatever it's not a given because I come from a divorced family when I was young so it, it doesn't mean that you're going to end up doubting your sexuality going forward after a divorce, but we don't really get into the backstories of any of these kids necessarily. Um, Lena is, is the one that's most standout-ish just because, as you said, she's very familiar, or she knows who she is. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, there's no doubt. Uh, there's some questions about her boyfriend, who you see, who she ends up break, breaking up at one point with. Uh, you have to kind of wonder if the boyfriend was more interested in her as because he knew that she was trans. Like, if it was like a... I think that he said he even admitted that it was like some sort of, like, clout or something that he was doing. Oh, that he thought he was dating her to get some, like, reputation? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. That's so, kind of shitty. It like, is, but then, like, I also sat there and thought to myself, well, did he really look at her as a woman or did he look at her as, like, a man? Like, was he gay? And so that's something that comes up occasionally with trans people because she's... Oh, God, she's, can you imagine if you are a trans person and you're like, maybe this person is dating me because they are too afraid to be, you know, homosexual. Right. And then you're like, okay, the well... The impression, Yeah, right. and then it's like, okay, well, I'm going to fully transition. It's going to take a while. And then, like, what, they break up with you after you transition? That's yeah, heartbreaking. Yeah, because she was... Lena she was, was ready. She was about 17 when they broke up, I think, and so... That's a couple of years before she actually went to talk to the doctor about the, the bottom half of this. And that's where we left her, too. She right. was, I think, 19, and she was right. ready. And the thing I loved, though, was her grandmother. Yeah. Her grandmother. Old boomer. Yeah. But she was just, like, completely, like, I'm... On board. I'm, yeah. yeah, it's my grandma. That, that's my granddaughter, whatever, you yeah. know. I, um... The one thing, too, was it Avery's parents or was it phoenix's parents that got divorced phoenix phoenix's so phoenix was four and phoenix is a nice you know gender neutral name anyway but she came out you know at four saying she is a, a girl and then the parents get divorced. That was a boy, a boy to girl. Boy to girl. But then the parents get divorced. And this is, you got to understand, Phoenix, no medication, no nothing. It was just her opinion on life. Um, but then after the parents were getting divorced, Phoenix's mother moves in with her parents and the father is with someone else. And Phoenix changed her mind and is now a he again. And 
it was it was just interesting. I got a lot to say on this, so when you get a break. Okay, I'll break. I was just going to say, like, I, I sometimes am wondering if, because uh, Phoenix felt like she was very, uh, she was little, she was very gender fluid, and sometimes I think children just in general are gender fluid because they're, like, not sexual anyway. I mean, I used to like to play with... G.I. Joe's and Ninja Turtles and Barbies and I used to like go and make a mess of myself outside and scrape my knees but I also wanted to be a princess and wear dresses while I was doing it. So, so that's why I think sometimes kids are gender fluid like maybe Phoenix. I don't see I don't think that's gender fluid though. I think that's where you and I disagree. Uh, I've seen women who have commented on different docs and they said look as a teen I was a tomboy but I never wanted to be a man. I was just a tom. No, no, no. They, when you're gender fluid, you don't want to be... It, it means nothing. It means you want to be neutral. Like, you're not... Yeah, but I don't think that really plays a factor with some people. They, they still say I'm female. They don't care. Well, I always identified as female, but I'm just saying, like, the stereotypical, you know, umbrella, I think children sometimes are I, I a know. little bit both. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I hate it. I just hate that. Like I do because it's the one thing I can accept anybody for anything, but this constant wanting and this is sort of like one of the biggest issues with some people is the common terminology that we have to keep dealing with. If we never got into the Dr. Phil show with Matt, I'm going to talk some about that too. But in this article from Time.com regarding transhood, uh, it says it's not unusual that kids know that they are trans when they are young. It says Lise. People ask me, how do kids know when they are four years old? I quickly realized that is not the question. The question is, how do you not believe them? This was true for Jay, who says he understands why people might have these questions, but who knew that he was trans when he was five. It's not something you decide, it's something you discover about yourself. That th This is a problem, though. It is about something you decide, because we saw it with Phoenix. <laughs> Phoenix went from a very young age wanting to dress up in a dress like his sister, older sister, mm -hmm. and went around for a couple of years like that, as you said, until the divorce happened. Uh, and There was like this separation. So wonder, part of it you have to wonder as a collective, both parents loved Phoenix either way, still do. And they, they did. They were they were. But was there supportive. some influence from the mother? Because we saw this with Avery. They were... Avery said that he was a she and... Very smart kid, no doubt about it, uh, and still stands by the decision that he, he wants to be a she. Uh, but the parents were sort of putting Avery on this. That's right. Avery was was being pushed on Time Magazine on, yeah, or she, National Geographic. Excuse me. She was pushed out everywhere. She was yeah. being like exploited almost. She's so young, and they were like just always having Avery speak out at things, and you know, Avery is a kid. Avery wants to play video games. Avery yep. wants to, you know, dye her hair. She had pink This is almost, blue. if you were to take it out of context of transgenderism and put it as far as like a young actor. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, day, you're right, you're right. The parents are guiding what's going on with their careers. And so it's better now for younger actors. Like you look like Emma Watson and all of them. They all had a little bit better uh, upbringing in terms of being in the starlight, uh, spotlight, but... Some of the older actors and actresses didn't have that luxury. What was it? Uh, uh, the Wizard of Oz. Her uh, Judy Garland. Yes, 
that's a different situation. That was a much harsher because so much more sexualization and everything else was put on it. We talk about John Benet Ramsey uh, and her death and what was leading up to that. One thing that they say too about, like look at Lindsay Lohan, she was a huge child star and then she hits her 20s. What do we do when we hit our 20s? We go partying. Well, mm -hmm. Lindsay Lohan's a millionaire. So she goes and she hits it hard because she has unlimited funds to hit it hard. She, her life has been out, you know, exploited. She's, she's in all these, these movies and stuff. So I think sometimes you're right. Like it almost feels like poor Avery was just kind of marched around and we don't know because Avery is probably like so at the end of the doc she was 11 so she would be 13 now but she was getting frustrated because she didn't feel like talking anymore yeah she's like I don't want to keep being out there I want to go be a kid uh, and so like Jay seemed to be very comfortable as being a boy but the mother had at one point told a girl that he was interested in. Oh, she outed Jay. That's right. Right. And so that really hurt Jay. And But the mother's like thinking she's doing everything that's best, but doesn't understand that that pressure is now put on Jay because now that girl... And then, then the mother tried to villainize the young girl because... She told other people. Well, no, I think the girl mm -hmm. didn't talk to him. The mother wouldn't let the girl talk to the oh, boy Oh, that's anymore. right. That's right. That's right. The, the mother of his girlfriend wouldn't let him be around. Right. And, but and then, then she tried she, to say it was her fault for telling the mother or something. And then she called the girl and said, please do not, you know, speak negatively about Jay, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't think she did. I don't think she did either. But, like, you know how it is when you're 12 and you're in school and somebody says a rumor about you or, my God. You well, they had you found out beforehand. That's why the question came up. That's why Jay ended up having to call her. Mm -hmm. Because somebody had found the picture of him as a boy and or a girl when she was little. Right, right, right. A girl, sorry. And so they started circulating it. And so now he didn't want his the girl he was interested in to, like, not understand. So then the mother took the phone and, like, was trying to make her understand, which is something good an adult should do. But Jay didn't really want to go that distance. Like, it just it became a really big problem. So, again, I'm coming down to the thing of whether or not it's really a choice. Because you're not really giving your kids a choice when you're doing stuff like that. And then... She was very much a helicopter parent anyway. So even if the child wasn't trans, right. I feel like she would be over, right. like, bearing on a kid. Like, uh, it could be almost like a pageant mom. She, the kid, Let's just say Jay didn't decide to transition and Jay wanted to be in pageants. That's how she would be. Just like a pageant mom, right up in their business, promoting them. And I, I know she thinks she's doing the best thing for Jay, but I also feel like it's a little bit self-serving, too. Because, remember, she was also the one who started Jay on the hormone blockers mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. implant. And this is the one thing I do really disagree with. And I, I, I'm really sorry if there are people out there who disagree with me. It's literally just because... I don't want something to blow up in a child's arm or kill them. That's all it is. Like, well, it's... mine is just going back to the whole point about Phoenix. Phoenix, we, we, you and I talk about it all the time. 
as kids and young adults, we don't have all the answers. No, and we're and we're not sexualized people, so and we're even, not one hundred percent ready yet. And even as adults, we don't have all the answers. So now we're saying at age four or five that these kids have all the answers about who they are. That that's not how growing up works. And I'm not saying that because I'm 52 years old. I'm saying that just because that's just how it is. Like, I went through my young life wondering what it's like to be a woman. But, I, you know, and that doesn't mean I wanted to be a woman. It just means I was curious. There's a difference between curiosity and learning versus all of a sudden saying, well, I think I need to be a female. And But that's something, that's why, they, that's why Jay was saying, like, he knew... He and that's why. But see, that's not even a proof. It's not a true fact. That's what I'm getting at. They're they're all still learning. Lena seems the one out of all of them that seemed to know. That's exactly. what I said too. She was a, she was a. Standout. But we don't know before 15 where where he or she was. Like we don't know what don't that know. When time did, period. When did they say that Lena started identifying as a woman? Did they did they I don't say remember. what age she was? The doc was clearly when she was 15. But she was already a teenager. She already had... Jay was at 12. Mm -hmm. they, they were the two oldest. And it felt like with Lena, like, she already had her, like, core group of friends. She already had a decent... I think Lena said she started feeling it around 4 or 5. But, again, we don't have enough of that backstory to... We didn't get to see, like, like with Avery and Phoenix, we got to see some of what was going on in their lives. And maybe lives. that's why they decided to do this with different ages, so you can kind of, like, understand and watch their okay. actions. But now, as a liberal push doc, is it maybe framed that way on purpose? What do you mean? Did they want to do it this way to make it look like that, yeah, these kids can make their own choices at age four and five? But here's the problem. Phoenix decided she was going to be a boy again. So now she is identifying as a he. So if it's super liberal, then it's not going with the liberal, like, well, you know, is, agenda. It is in a sense that they're still saying that they can make these decisions. All I'm saying is you don't have the answer. So why are we pushing anything on these kids at that young age? Uh, let them grow out of it. I posted a, a poll on... Maybe not grow out of it, but let them get well, some life yeah, experience. Right. Gr grow to a point where you know for sure. So even, like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with 15 being a point in your life in your teenage years. If you really think you want to identify as a man or a woman or a girl or a boy, go for it. Uh, I still support the idea that any kind of changes or transitions should be after 18 I do too. Adult. I, I just... It, I... <laughs> and the poll I posted on my... It was on a forum that I was a part of. It wasn't a lot of people voting in it because there's not a lot of us in that particular part of the forum. But between liberal and conservative, everyone agreed that 18 is really the moment where you should be deciding on sex changes and stuff like that. So that's good news. It's a small sample size, but it's good news. But, I mean, we even saw in... Um, but we know that what is a woman... I was going to say, they, they... The doctor and that who's been doing... Who actually was talking with Lena mm -hmm. uh, in Australia, I think, wasn't mm -hmm. it? Uh, that doctor has done one as young as 16, which my concerns here, and this is sort of what Matt was getting to, which for those that are curious, Matt was concerned about more of the, the children in this aspect because he was concerned that maybe uh, making these kids transition so young is damaging as opposed to, like we just said, letting them kind of develop and grow to the point at least in their mid to late teens 
then they can kind of decide what direction. It would. She was talking about the top surgery that she was doing for female to male transitions, and I remember she said something about like she did the breast reduction on someone I think who was like thirteen or fourteen, and the first thing that popped in my head was my boobs just kept growing up until I was like eighteen. They just got bigger and bigger and bigger, but how? How would you know, like, that they just wouldn't come back? Like, how would you... That's why I think, like, you know, you're giving your child an unnecessary surgery that if you wait a little while, you could get the whole, you know, just get the right. whole boob off instead of, like, have a kid do a surgery at 13 and then, oh, my boobs grew back because I'm still going through puberty. Then you have to have another surgery when you're older. Right. And so I think that's really just the biggest part for some, even some conservatives like Matt is like, you know, there's a point where we treat people as adults and allow them to make their own choices. But then we're, I see articles now where some studies and some doctors think that it's okay to start as early as 14 for sex changes. I'm not on board with that. I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, obviously, they all have their own opinions and theories on why they should, but I'm just not on there. I just, and I've told you before, like if we're allowing kids to make these choices at young ages, sometimes some of these doctors are saying that, they, like the case of the guy in Canada, the hospital started giving their kid hormones without his permission. Oh, that's right! I forgot about that guy. Yeah, so there's some troubling things in here with this, and, this, and again, back to Matt. He was asking serious questions that even anybody should be asking, mm -hmm. not just conservative. Liberal people need to be asking this as well. Um, so 18 to me is a good place for people to decide. And Blair White, again, who's transgender, advocates that they need to be older before they do a lot of this stuff because you've had chance to grow, develop, uh, to see where your body is and then go from there. I realize for people that have identity issues that being in your teen years can be very struggling. Uh, and you think that this surgery could be an answer to your problems. But the thing is, like, it's struggling for any kid, straight, whatever. I, I grew up being bullied as a male, so, you know, it's not, it's not just people with identity issues that have these problems. It's not just with gay people, gay kids that have these issues, like... You know, I can almost accept people, someone deciding that they're gay at age 13 more than I can whether or not they're male or female. Well, my, again... Because you're attracted to something. My, That's a, my, my biggest thing, though, is these medications and everything are just still very experimental. It's not like a perfect, you know, solution. They don't have the perfect answer. The top surgery is perfect. There's... I mean, how many breast implants and breast reductions have doctors done? It's the bottom surgery that they, it's, it's very experimental. These hormones are experimental. And I, I think sometimes it's because I remember one doctor was saying on um, what is a woman or was it, I can't remember which doc it was, but they were basically saying they're not really um, encouraged to kind of give the negative right. about, you know, these surgeries if somebody is reaching out to them because they don't want to be appeared to be, uh, you know, 
bigoted or, or you know. Yeah. So they, they really are not encouraged to kind of like say, hey, this is still kind of a, it's a risk. It's a surgery or multiple surgeries. And that's why, again, if I was a parent, I would really, really want my child to wait until they were older to have these surgeries because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't trust I don't care if I went to the top sex change doctor at Johns Hopkins. Well, you pointed about the one guy in, in Matt's uh, doc where he transitioned from a woman to a man. And he was an adult. He was like in his 30s. He yeah. already had two kids. And he had kids. a lot of regrets and a lot of anger and, and sadness. Like, So, it, as you said, most doctors won't give you the negatives because... It's either, you know, they want the money. Like, that's sort of the problem with capitalism is that we have... But see, they do that. I'll, I'll go back to, like, my mom. Um, they do that just in general. They give you the pros. This is life-saving medicine if it works and it doesn't kill you. And that's basically what they said in the subtext to my mom. This is your choice. This is the only medication that we have that'll Yeah, but you remember, though, the one doctor for your mom was trying to give you the honest answers and your dad was trying to go around his back to other doctors to get a different answer which it's fine you you can always get more information but sometimes you just can't deal with hearing the answers you don't want to hear you don't want to hear the negative right so i have a question for you do you want to do a couple of songs and then we'll get into bridget we might just save her for another day, I think, because uh, I have more stuff coming in from that package, and I think I'll just do it all at once. Okay, because I, I, we've just been going on for about 45 minutes right. or so, and I, I have so much to say about Bridget, too. I'm going to bookmark this. Yeah, just save it. We'll get so, to it next week or whatever. Next week, I'm going to give you a little teaser. We're going to talk about Bridget Leahy, and she has her own podcast, and she was talking about um, rape and how some women do actually experience orgasms during rape not saying like not saying that women want to be raped but she was just saying it's been proven that some women have experienced orgasms and rape like it's been reported by people saying that but that's an entire that's an entirely different thing and we wanted to touch on bridget and her legacy and her podcast where she said this information because she really got the pickaxe thrown at her. People yep. were coming at her front yep. door for just much ma- like Blair. I mean, there's mm-hmm. people that you know, and that's sort of my concern is, you know, we see it with J.K. Rowling, who's actually a pro-feminist, and then when you say something certain about like, if you say, well, like Joe Joe's issue was, she said, well, trans or women and men and women are biologically their stuff, which is what Blair is getting at. Uh, one thing that Matt made a point of in his uh, TV appearance on Dr. Phil was... Oh, you didn't talk about that. Go ahead. R- well, yeah, but if he said that, look, even if you're like Blair White, if you're a trans person and you die, 100 from years now, when they dig up your grave, they're not going to see you as a woman because there's just nothing there. But your bones are there, and the DNA in your bones will show that you were a male. Blair acknowledges this. Blair just says, look, I can't change it biologically as a man. However, my second gender, which is what I am now as a woman, that's how I see myself. It doesn't matter if someone else doesn't see me as a woman. That's how I see myself. But I can't escape 
my origins. And that's what she's getting at. That's what Matt was getting at. But Matt, again, was just trying to ask even the people across from him in this panel uh, where you had a guy who I assume called himself a trans or, you know, non-binary or whatever, had a beard, had blonde, long hair, dressed as a woman. Matt was, again, trying to get to this answer, like, well, can you define what a woman is? Most of the time they would come back and say, a woman is who they think they are. And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So in the end, Matt goes to his wife and says, ask her. And again, this is kind of done in a snarkiness. It doesn't appear I actually, that I actually think it, it took away from the documentary because before that, I thought the documentary was very interesting because he interviewed a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life. And he ended the documentary poorly. He just asked his wife the same question. She said, yes, it's an adult female. And that's that's what they left it and at. And then she handed him a oh, jar yeah. of pickles because she couldn't open it. Who needs help opening this can of pickles? Mm-hmm. So that's, that was, that's what I mean. Like, I think I would have... He ruined the documentary for me by doing that. <laughs> I, I thought he really... You know, I get it. He's conservative. I am not that conservative. So I like hearing his side of of the coin as they say but he ruined it by doing that he ruined it he he made it seem like everything that people say in this documentary didn't matter because women what is a woman well, a woman can't open a I, see, I didn't get jar. that i got that i didn't get that at all like he he was being a smart ass in a sense that in fact he was talking to one psychologist the guy that got really uh animated and the guy, he asked the guy, like, you know, I'm just trying to, he asked, he asked this particular therapist, he's a psychologist, said, what is a woman? And the guy says, marry one and find out. So basically, that's the truth. basically it was like, okay, Matt, go home and talk to your wife. And that's what I did. But you have to understand, Matt also went to different, just cis women on the street. I know. I'm not saying he And didn't. they could not give him an answer. None of them. And again, is it out of fear or is it just... They've confused themselves so much now with the binary stuff and genderism that they can't have an answer for it. Uh, yeah, yet one thing that's brought up is we if we ask what is a man, we can definitely tell you what it is. But no one answers that or asks that question. We ask what is a woman, we just don't ask what is a man. So it, 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 it's an interesting debate. Um, I do recommend watching both. I think... Interestingly enough, most of the hate that comes at transhood comes from the avenue of uh, people who are trans or of that group that feel like if you're going to do a doc on trans people, it should be filmed by a trans person. That's that's a solid argument, but you can't really dismiss someone just because they're straight. I just I find that a poor argument of doing that. Just like with Matt, who, as we've said, came to different people of all walks of life trans people, non-trans people, psychologists, doctors, whatever, he actually went to people who were supposedly experts in their field. So he didn't go to people who were pro-conservative. He went to people who know what they're supposed to be talking about. So despite his own political side and his identity on that, he attempted to at least try to come to people to get answers that he was looking for. So, as that guy in that article I told you about from Field Threat, just go watch it. You know, you don't have to pay for it. If you can find... There's plenty of YouTubers who are breaking it up and discussing it as they're watching it. 
just go on one of those and do it because they show you quite a bit of that material. Uh, I don't know why they don't put this on other streaming. Uh, because so Matt wants to make his money. Well, it's either that or they just can't get anybody to buy it. You know, because HBO will do transit, but you won't put What is a Woman, so maybe it's because of the... No, I think Matt wants... Because this is a brand new documentary, and it's hot right now. Think of how many subscriptions just went up for The Daily Wire right. this month, because it's the only place you can get it. I, I am not conservative, but I really did... I liked it up until the very end when when he did that thing with his wife. I thought it was it was interesting to see him being, you know, kind of smug and an asshole, but without being an asshole. But then seeing how some people just kind of, I don't say flail, but they try so hard to get their point across, and then they just never really get their point across. The most important thing for me... For anybody out there who is a trans person, just realize you clearly have a lot of allies. Like, watch that documentary and you'll see that, like, there are a lot of allies. So if you are feeling frustrated or you want information on, on being trans and learning about transitioning and learning about the medication, there's so much more information out there than there was 20, 30 years ago. That and people who don't understand it watching this documentary will give you kind of a little insight on how people are starting to think again you can you can interpret it many different ways like if you're on the liberal side they're like oh this this was so conservative and and mean and if you're on the really really conservative side they're thinking that the liberals are crazy i think because you've got such strong opinions from both sides, that means it's pretty good in the middle that you're you're going to get a little bit of everything from everybody. The important I, thing is to have the discussion. You mm -hmm. got to have it. Like we can't just keep talking past each other or you know saying oh we got to have this without having the actual discussion. Like, this is the same thing with abortion. Like you can't just talk past each other. We have to be able to work it out and figure it out. These are not these without are not, screaming and, and getting violent. We got to do it without all that. Um, these are not like perfectly black and white issues. These nah. are these are issues where there is lots of uh, information out there. And and again, yeah, I think you'll find that when it comes to transgenders and stuff, my concerns are more for the safety of exactly, everyone me involved. Me too. Me too. Like that's the so, whole thing. So yeah, it has nothing to. Like I can accept anybody for what they want to do. I just have some concerns and Matt has some stuff in his doc that if you go watch it he brings up some very interesting and about the about the drugs and stuff right the research he, he puts his time in like if you get past all the other nonsense that he does uh and it's not even that standoutish like you'll find that he's far more ridiculous on his own youtube channel than he is in his doc like he's very subtle he's very calm he doesn't yell at people uh, but he does have a bit of a snarkiness to him. But, you know, again, maybe it's just frustration not getting the answers that he wants. Or maybe he's just being dramatic. Maybe, maybe. And that's fine. That's that's his doc. He can do what he wants. But if we have been able to talk about this thing for as long as we have, and we are not it's worth conservative, discussing. it's right. worth watching it. Like, it's right. a really good talking point. Yeah. I mean, you're going to either love it or you're going to hate it, but it is filled with lots of information. Mm-hmm. How about the new Manowar? 
Ooh, man o' war? New? New? Do they have new cod pieces? I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna look that up right now. Well, we talk about manly man. This is man o' war. <laughs> it's called Immortal. And we'll be back.
pledge. We sons of kings, the final sunrise, eternity into thy hands, my sword and soul. Turning into 
Hey everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer. Hey Beak and Zell R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. Whoops! Sorry about that. They didn't go into what I needed to go into, so apologize for that. <laughs> Actually, it sounded like a pretty good intro, like to the to the movie. Like, well, the... it was going to be a piece of the soundbite for uh, Rain of Fire, which we just watched last night, and uh, it didn't go as planned. So, much apologies for that, but we'll fix that out anyway. Whatever. Yeah, keep, it happened. Keep, keep, we're, it's live. Keep it, it live. Yeah, it's all live. Even the mistakes. It's all live. Mm. So yeah, um, my uh, retro actually, pick of the this week. This is you this week. So this is DJ Anubis's yeah. retro pick of the week. And I and I can't remember exactly how much I got interest into. I remember the trailers back in two thousand and two for it. I didn't at the time. I didn't even know what it was about. I just knew the one iconic scene where Matthew McConaughey's with his axe jumping off a, a scaffolding or whatever that was, and mm-hmm. you know he's flying into the mouth of something. I'm like, hmm, interesting. And then, of course, you read up on it and you find out that it's about dragons and how they've taken over the Earth in modern age. And, of course, this is 2002 and this happens. So, I think at one point they say it's 2020 when they actually are, are kind of, like, caught up with mm-hmm. it, everybody. And now, now we're in 2022. So, uh, basically, the premise, though, is, you know... Uh, it stars Christian Bale, Matthew McConaughey, and of course, uh, uh, they're all young, but Gerald Butler as well. So this is early in their careers, uh, before a lot of the notoriety came for any of them. I think Matthew was probably the biggest name coming in, uh, but even that was sort of like before he really blew up with mm-hmm. all the other roles. So uh, a lot of young cast, it deals with uh, Christian Bale when he's a younger kid, with, he goes to... Uh, what was it? They were putting together railroads. Yeah, his mom was working um, underground, and they were blasting like rail tunnels for you know probably the subway or whatever. Yeah, so he gets off school and he runs over there and uh, sees his mom, and I, I guess there's like just some small talk that's happening at first, and 
all of a sudden, as they're digging, they come across this void in the earth. So they've got those big-ass drillers on the, the machines that they're working with, and it, it opens up like this cavern. And it's very cool how it's done. Uh, the, what ends up happening is one of the workers there, uh, without Christian Bale's uh, acquaintance's name, so it, uh, her, his mom isn't immediately right there. So the guy that he's talking to, the co-worker, it, the opening is kind of small, so you can't really, unless he crawls in there, you can't really fit. So he sends the boy in just to say, hey, you want to check it out? And the boy, you know, of course, inquisitive, wants to go in there. and He's like, to... yeah, yeah, I want to see. So he gets in, and he's kind of looking at it. And when you're looking at everything, you're like, It just wow. looks like a cave. Yeah, it's very cool. You got all these stalactites and stuff like that in there. And, uh, of course, you find out shortly after that there weren't really stalactites. That uh, uh, he ends up touching uh, what he thinks is like a wall. And it's got kind of like a bit he's of a like, scary. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, but shortly after that, there's like this almost... Um, I don't even know what you It's a chemical that the dragon drops that's before. It's like not even fire. It's just like almost acidic. So apparently, um, I'm going to spoil something from 20-year-old movie. But they, um, Christian Bale's character, Quinn, finds the male. Yep. And it's the only male this, this movie is also working by a lot of spoilers. Yeah, we're going to be lots of spoilers. So it's the only male, but he's the he is the one who finds. He's the one who awakens the dragon. And um, their dragon breath comes from two chemicals that combine to create fire. So when he drips down the first, like, it's one chemical, and you see, like, Quinn's eyes are all red and, you know. Yeah, because it, it sprays him in his face. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we watched some of the bonus features, because we like the bonus features. And uh, the director had mentioned that his idea behind it, which actually got taken on by uh, uh, movies like Harry Potter and whatnot, is that the cobra spits its venom through two glands in its, th in its throat. So he used that concept for the dragon, where you were mixing two types of uh, chemicals together to create the fire burst. Uh, but it could do just the uh, chemical, one chemical, where it's like acidic or just uh, very hot, uh, which makes Quinn's eyes kind of reddish and whatnot. So it's kind of an interesting thing. I don't know if that was like a moment where the dragon was like kind of first waking up because it wasn't a slumber before he'd been, he'd been in um, hibernation for years, and what they're, you know, insinuating is that you know, all this destruction back in the day was, you know, the dinosaurs weren't destroyed by a comet. They were destroyed by dragons. dragons. And then yeah. after the dragons, like, took over the world and decimated the world, you know, they either died off or went into hibernation. And um, because this particular dragon, who is the male, had been so deeply buried, he just had no way of getting out or waking up and then now that they have this tunnel he has an out yeah so the dragon ends up crawling out of the the cavern and of course 
the Quinn and his mother are trying to escape through the elevator, but it's like the old makeshift we've got to pull the gate down. I think even Neko has one of these at work. It doesn't work currently, where you have to pull down the gate. Oh, you're talking about my, <laughs> my freight elevator. Yeah. Uh, fuck that elevator. Uh, unreliable elevators. Hey, it worked until some fuck took it too high. <laughs> Sorry. So they're trying to escape, and at the same time, the dragon has already incinerated everyone else down at the bottom, so he starts crawling out and crushes the cage in, but... Uh, Quinn is so small that it doesn't kill him, but it kills his mother, uh, who plays is by Alice Creed, who we've seen in uh, old classics like uh, Sleepwalkers, Stephen King Sleepwalkers. So she has her little cameo that's short-lived. Um, then we're fast-forwarding to 2020. Um, Quinn has kind of grown up now into the young Christian Bale. And what they've done is what they we discovered through this period of time is that once the mail got loose, there's no explanation exactly when the first female, like, I don't know if the dragon had found some eggs when it was with it, that escaped at the same time when it was in the cavern, or if it's somehow, I don't know. It's really weird because we don't have really any answers as to how they... Procreated. Right. We know that the females will lay eggs to which this male goes in and inseminates them and then they get more, but we don't know how it really started. But we do know that within a year there was like almost a million dragons running around uh, across the globe. So quickly. And so yeah, they, they compare it to like uh, a group of locusts just going all over the place. And at first, as governments do, they try to play it off as, uh, you know, the, cro the crops are on fire, but you know, we'll, we'll put that out or... Something happened in Paris. It might have been a terrorist attack. You know, they try to make excuses as to what's going on, but then people quickly find out there's fucking dragons all over the place. And, and they were trying. They even, like, were trying, like, nuclear bombs yep. and everything, <laughs> and it did not work. Almost Independence Day, uh, Day style, or, you know, even if you're thinking of, like, Godzilla 2014, where we're trying to destroy using nukes and atomic bombs. Uh, it just wasn't, like, enough. Like, everything that was happening was just not enough. They were not, they were not, like, getting to the source of it because the male kind of stays behind and mm -hmm. all of the, <clears throat> the female um, dragons fly pretty openly, but the male kind of, like, stays back. Yeah, so the dragons, you know, they have, you know, when it comes to the myth and legends of dragons, they do, are, they are smart. Um, but these were dragons also very, uh, <clears throat> menacing. Like, you know, they are sort of the embodiment of evil. Like, they're, they don't care about humans. They, in fact, everything they eat is based upon ash, so they will burn they crops. Just, yeah, they just want to destroy and then eat. Right, so it's kind of interesting, their, their eating habits. And so what's happening, though, is now most of the world's population is gone in terms of, like, uh, humans. So there, you have pockets of them, and in this case, Christian Bale's group with Quinn, excuse me, is uh, boarded up at this old castle in London, in England somewhere. In the countryside, because remember they, they said everybody started leaving the cities because the, like, original heart was, <clears throat> excuse me, ooh, in London. Right. So... You know, they're doing fine. They're kind of building their communities. In fact, there's a kind of an endearing moment early on where they have a bunch of younger kids, and uh, <laughs> Christian Bale's uh, character and Jared Butler's character, who are best friends, are recreating Star Wars fight between Obi-Wan Kenobi, or Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. 
And so it's cute because these kids have no idea of that time period because all they know is... They don't dis- have film. They don't have TV. They it's don't have dy- anything. It's dystopian. So uh, they're all like, wow. You know, they're all excited. And, and they're going, <gasps> Almost like this scene that you remember from Return of the Jedi with the Ewoks when 3PO and them are kind of doing that shit too. So it's, it's kind of like that. But... Uh, you know, they, they start trying to build crops and stuff, but they can't always just go out and get stuff because they have their own rules of, to which they live because these dragons are flying around and they can see at any moment. You don't want to have them see one person because they could draw to the rest of the, the people. And they were really, like, their crops, they were Tomatoes for harvest. Right. Like, they were harvesting for the next year. They were trying to make sure they had food. And... Christian Bale um, Quinn's theory is we just need to survive until they kill each other off because that's what has ha- he like he hypothesized they they're ancient creatures that have been here for so long the reason that they went into their hibernation is because there was nothing else left to eat yeah there's starvation so and- if we if we keep quiet and we are you know if we stay in our little like group we can outlive them by letting them cannibalize each other and that was always his his kind of thought is he just wanted to let the children survive let let people survive because otherwise if you're kind of trying to be too flamboyant about it you you get yourself killed and draw out the the um excuse me dragons but if you keep yourself quiet and don't draw attention then the dragons themselves will run out of things to burn and eat and they will have to you know they'll die off from starvation yeah and so you know but clearly early on there's a particular family that is frustrated that you know because food is you know as your population grows the food becomes a little more scarce even for humans can you only have like certain much you can eat uh so they want to go and kind of just move on and, and go find another way to live. But they have an incident where a dragon shows up and kills a couple of this guy's uh, uh, kids off. And he's already lost his wife and another kid prior to that. So uh, Quinn has to come and save them and pull them out. But he ends up losing a couple more kids in the process. So uh, there's a hard lesson there with that. But... Quinn even has self-doubt when that happens. Like, he feels so bad for this father and thinking, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe just sitting pat just isn't going to cut it. But but then also, all of their crops for the next year are gone. Are gone. Because they, they alert, yeah. So they went down there and that dragon scorched the crops and then ate the ash. That's pretty much how they got away because it just didn't care about them anymore after it had all the ash to eat. Uh, then, all of a sudden... They do still have like old CB radios, and they use a, a falcon or a hawk as a way of alerting them when there's a dragon nearby. And they also have um, telegraph, you know, yeah, yeah, Morse code for when they want to send messages and stuff. So uh, on the CB radio, they end up uh, getting a broadcast from an oncoming uh, group of uh, mercenaries or marauders. Uh, led by uh, Van Zandt, played by Matthew McConaughey, and they're Americans, and they come up to the door, and of course, Quinn and them think that they're there to take all their stuff and 
food and oh my god it was so funny when gerard butler was like it's the only thing worse <laughs> than, dragons. than dragons is american <laughs> yeah so we have the american joke in there and uh and I'll tell you, McConaughey looks amazing in this role, like just badass. And he is chiseled. He's got a bunch of tattoos, and I forgot how great he acted in mm -hmm. this. I think this was one of like it's an early movie for him, and I think one thing that really makes this movie work is everybody in the movie is not treating this like something cheesy. They're treating it like the world got taken over by dragons. They're treating it like a drama and horror monster movie at the same time. I'm glad you brought that because it's going to get to a point here in a minute with that. Uh, so there's a bit of a butting heads at first because Quinn is very uh, wary of whether or not what the intentions are of this group. Because, you know, just like anything that we see in modern day, when shit goes south... For instance, the Rodney King thing, it's, you know, that goes crazy. Then also the city's going nuts. People are looting, hurting people. That's not much different than what would happen in, in a dragon society where the world's gone nuts. There's nobody to protect us. And so people are just going to start fending for themselves. Mm -hmm. So the castle is on alert when these guys show up because they have tanks, they have, uh, uh, trucks and stuff and a lot of uh, they have, they have firepower. A helicopter. Yeah, a helicopter shows up, which we'll get into in a minute. Uh, which we still don't know exactly how they're able to feel this thing as well as they are, but we, we, you have to kind of suspend belief a little bit. Um, so yeah, so uh, finally they just come to an agreement, like we're going to let you guys chill here for a couple days, uh, get your bearings, uh, get water, food, or whatever, and then th supposedly they're going to be on their way. During that time, they're explaining to Quinn uh, exactly how the helicopter works. Because they don't believe that this group is a bunch of dragon killers. That's what they present themselves as. And that's what they are. Uh, they're not there to hurt these people, but they are there to hunt dragons. And they've been... They, that, Van Zandt has a theory, uh, you know, similar to how Quinn had his theory about the dragons. Van Zandt has his theory about where the origin of the dragon came from. And then Quinn's like, yeah, and... Uh, yeah, he says, yeah, don't fuck with it. That's yeah. bad news. And um, I forgot what the girl's name is. The actress is Isabella Skorupko. Uh She was Bond girl at one point. Um, is it the pilot? Yes, yeah. the pilot. And she looks at Quinn and she's like, you've seen it. Mm -hmm. Like, she, she recognizes... The look. The look <laughs> and the fear. And... Um, he just Quinn's just kind of like mm -hmm. yeah Quinn has this you know he holds this in because you know I think a part of him feels like he's the one responsible for the, the, the downfall of Earth because he crawls in that little cavern touches the dragon and it comes alive but you know he's a kid and there's no way anybody's gonna know that something like that's in there and of course his mom dies so that's more of his guilt that he deals with mm -hmm. so uh, we don't really... The, the movie doesn't dive too much into the psychological aspect of this, although, as Nick will point out, it is kind of conveyed in certain things. So, uh, at one point, Butler, again, his character is close with Quinn. Uh, there's a moment where the, the... I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but the male dragon shows up and pretty much destroys the castle. Unfortunately, Butler goes along with it. Uh, but saves Quinn and a bunch of the kids and He stuff. slams the door and he... But before we get to that, uh, during the time that Van Zandt and them are there, 
they explain how they hunt these dragons. So the the copter has the pilot plus three gentlemen who are uh, parachuters. And what they do is they call them archangels and they get up in the air. They look like sugar gliders. <laughs> right. They jump out of these uh, the helicopter after the dragon has appeared behind them. So it's a very tense moment for even a pilot when you've got this dragon chasing you down. But they also, there are people on the ground who set up this kind of... Uh, grid map thing. With yeah, the, it's uh, a grid with three triangulating... Uh, it's digital, so that's how they're able to... And it's a big deal. You have to remember... This is before the digital world existed. This is before we and have... it's post-world, too. So, so it's post-world that they still have this technology that they've been able to hold on to. Even Matthew McConaughey um, made the comment that, you know, he had 200 men. When they got there. When they got there. And so they had down to, like, 15, maybe? Yeah, and they had been just trekking for so long uh, it, it, they had an aircraft carrier that they took over the ocean, and then they get to the UK, and then there's all this shit that went down. But the ability, and he, uh, that he is the leader, he knew he needed to make sure they preserved their copter, their technology, because that was the only way that they were able to kind of have an advantage over the dragons, you know. They they kind of make um, a comment to the magic hour where yeah. dragons are not very part. good in um, twilight. They're not good when they're the sun is is setting and the moon hasn't come up yet. So that's where they kind of work. And um, he knows it's dangerous and. Um, he has had so many men die and he knew that this is important even though like remember the part where the guy on the moped he gets hit dirt bike yeah and he gets hit by oh it is a dirt bike i'm sorry he gets hit by the dragon but then Quinn realizes how important the triangulation is yeah. so he gets on his horse and gets the um, it looks almost like a rocket and you stick it in the ground that's uh, not a rocket but almost what, what are the poles that you use for like uh, like a tiki bugs? torch, Tor tiki, yeah, tiki torch like a tiki yeah. torch it looks like a tiki torch and um, because they're on shortwave radio in the castle they also have a shortwave radio and they're hearing like them kind of struggle and Quinn hears it he gets on his horse he goes out there he sees that the poor guy has been torched by the dragon and Quinn in his head is like alright well the dragon thinks that there's nothing going on here now because it's he's been torched but I'm going to grab this triangulate so that the archangels have a little bit more of a chance and Everybody, like, it, it's kind of funny because there's not much left. Like, it's fire. It destroys everything. So when you realize you have this one kind of piece, you have a, 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 a chopper, you have um, tanks, you have these, these pieces of technology... I mean, you're looking at Quinn riding a horse, but you, you, know, you see that there's still something remaining... You're, you're realizing it's important because that's what's going to help us 
you know, beat right. the, beat the enemy because it's not like now where it's like, oh Christ. Yeah, it's something I didn't get to when they first met outside the gate, the front mm-hmm. gate was that Van Zandt was explaining to Quinn because he has this dragon tooth on his necklace that he kept probably from his first dragon kill, and so he's trying to convince Quinn like, look, this is what I do, this is a real thing, and I want to find the male because we f- believe that the male is the only one that exists and the females are the ones that are just around and, we, and they will eventually die off but we have to kill the male so he can stop breeding that's really the, the key to the whole thing so in this case a dragon appears which is a female they get in the helicopter and they're jumping out and as Nick will point out Quinn fixes the, uh, the little pole so that they can get the triangle triangulation uh, set so they can do this so basically, you got the archangels who jump out of the helicopter. The dragon chases one or two of them. Uh, as the dragon is chasing, there's two more behind him where they will shoot a net in the air and, and try to take the dragon down and kill it. Uh, they kind of get it, but then the dragon manages to get out of the nets. And so, but it's really cloudy. Mm-hmm. Nobody can see anything. So the first guy who's jumped out sees the dragon appear behind him again, and it's gotta be scary as fuck. So you're 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 panicking, and mm-hmm. you're especially since the nets didn't catch it the first time. Uh, you know, so you're, you, he's panicking. So he's still trying. He's still flying. There's no parachute yet. He's still zooming down towards the earth. Yeah, and so gravity, the, gravity. So the dragons chasing him, and then you just get that sense of like, huh? Because the dragon backs off. The dragon knows it's it's distance, so it backs off, and the guy turns around. And immediately, you see the ground, and he's like toast. Two guys behind him. There's it was, one guy. It was yeah. Uh, like it was like in your chest. Yeah. Like, he hit it like no holding back. You're not just parachuting at the last moment and kind of like hurting. It's no like way. he was a grape. Yeah. And the the sad thing is too because um, a lot of times when people fall from great distances, um, they pass out. So they just, but he knew he was falling from a great distance. He had been a jumper before he'd been an archangel. And it was so cloudy that day. And the pilot had gone up above the clouds to kind of hide them from the dragon. Mm -hmm. And because they were kind of fumbling with the triangulation, he was, he was hoping he would hear from his teammates and they didn't have because they just jumped before the triangulation was in place so right they, they just they had to go because the the dragon started right on like, top of the helicopter, yeah. like you know headbutting the helicopter and it wasn't it didn't go to plan and so the second it was, guy it was, it was a lot of like i i had anxiety watching that right so like the second two guys behind a dragon you know, everyone's trying to communicate to see if the dragon's down or whatever. Uh, so one of the second guys, the dragon comes back and eats him like right off the bat. And I, I think it would happen to the black guy. I, don't, I suppose he survived because yeah, he did. He parachuted. But here's where it gets back to about the acting that Neko was pointing to. Uh, so Quinn is able to get the dragon to chase him on horseback and come over this hill where Van Zandt is waiting with his harpoon gun. Uh, it had, the dragon comes over flying, trying to get to Quinn, and Van Zandt shoots it down and kills the dragon, takes the tooth, etc. Here's where the 
a disconnect with the people that are living in the castle versus what Van Zandt's doing happens is uh, the people start celebrating overnight. Like they're they're throwing parties. They got spotlights going on. Uh, they're happy. They're, they're celebrating that these guys killed the dragon. Uh, even though they all kind of know deep down there's more dragons, it's like they just kind of feel like this is a victory that they've all had. There's a little bit of hope because all they've been doing is just living hiding. there and hiding. But the greatest moment in this movie for me is when Van Zant arrives back from gathering his troops from what just happened, going back into the castle, seeing people dance around and, and, and enjoying themselves yeah, and saluting Jimmy them. Hendrix. And uh, he gets in there and he's he raises a glass, but he's like, you know, I wish I could say it the way he said it. I should have pulled up the quote, but it's something to the effect of. And he's like, hooray tears for the, in his eyes, like he's. That's the thing. Like he, it's not so much coming down his face, but his eyes are misty, and it's a mixture of what I could say is anger and sadness because he's like, you know. He's Cheers. like, so go ahead and celebrate, but I'm not going to celebrate because I just lost four men. Right. He's like, you know, hooray for heroes, but, you know, pity for those who need them or some to that effect. And he he understands the bigger picture. And so he's like, look, I just lost three men and we only killed one dragon. Imagine, he says, like, you know, you gave out the numbers like... Going that ratio, we won't even live long enough to do that. It'll take 300 years to slay them all, yeah. Right, so he, he's very angry that they're celebrating a victory over one dragon, which means nothing in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, they survived. But, but for this group of people, they've never seen anything like that. That's why it was such a big deal to them. Right, and so in some ways, Quinn, I think he kind of understood it too. Like, he... He was looking at Butler's, but, uh, Gerard Butler's character was, I can't remember his name in the movie, but he's kind of bewildered by what just happened with Van Zant saying that, and, and you can see Quinn's face. Quinn's like, just, like, kind of nodding. Yeah, he's kind of like, you know, yeah, I, I kind of get it, because there is a bigger issue here than just the one dragon, but people are, as you said, they were so scared, they've been hiding all their life uh, up to this point, uh, and to see a dragon go down, which is something they probably have never witnessed themselves is a big deal. Uh, shortly after this, um, Van Zant decides that he needs to get on the road to the center of London because that's where they believe the male dragon resides. And so he's now going to try... And confirms. Right. So he's trying to recruit some people from... Because he's got to replenish his, his crew, as he says. And that doesn't go well with Quinn because he's trying to keep these people safe. And for the most part, they're not soldiers. But... You know, you're down to nothing. And, so and he's like, I'm, Quinn is like, I want your six strongest men. Right. So Van Zant's trying to gather uh, more people. Excuse than they, me, Van Zant. I'm sorry. Yeah. So they, um, Van Zant and uh, Quinn get into a fist fight a little bit because Quinn doesn't want him to do this. He doesn't beat Van Zant. Van Zant's just no, no. a soldier and whips his ass pretty well. Uh, takes some men. In fact, there's one kid who's probably a teenager who's pretty close to Quinn that decides he wants to go, changes his mind later, but uh, they're all kind of just, some of these, it goes back to that first family where they're kind of like we gotta do something more than just sit here and rot away in this castle. We have to find a way to help in this in some way, but no one really has the answers per se, uh, but as Neko pointed out, we discover that dragons between dusk and dawn is when their eyesight is worse. They see great during the day, better at night, but during the middle, 
their focus isn't there. So Van Zandt figures that's the way he's going to get a hold of this creature. And they're they're close enough to London that they, because they have the chopper, they can get in and get out right at twilight. But Quinn is so pissed off. He's like, you're going to bring this dragon back here. Yeah. So knock it off. Just no, 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 no. Right. So Van Zandt's like, well, we're going to go anyway. Uh, so they go, and I'm not sure where the helicopter is at this point. I think Van Zandt sent them on a task, uh, or they held behind or something. But so she flies above the clouds right. so that it's harder for the dragons to see them. So she can go 5,000 feet in the air. And then they have their four tanks. And as they're approaching London... Maybe she was further... Yeah. No, she was high up. No, I'm just saying, maybe she was further toward London. Cause she, she says at one point, uh, we're coming back. And so that's when uh, Van Zandt and them are driving on the ground and their convoy. Uh, it's dark, but then they start hearing the wings. Mm -hmm. and so they know that something's up. And, of course, the male dragon has found them and scorches the entire convoy. But Van Zandt dives underneath one of the tanks and avoids being scorched to death. Uh, again, it's another moment when the helicopter arrives and they find Van Zandt that you see the great acting McConaughey who is, like, just grief-stricken and he, he got like one guy it was him and um isabella scarupko and one guy that he like carried on his back right everybody else including the people that decided to go with van zandt from quinn's castle are dead are dead <laughs> yeah so they come back and then but they're trying to come back so there's, there's a little bit of distance there so it's not like super close but in the meantime the uh <laughs> The male dragon has found its way to the castle. So it's close enough that you could probably see the castle from where it was killing the convoy. So it goes, uh, lights up the um, the castle at first, uh, killing quite a few people. There's still some people inside that Gerard Butler's character is moving into like a shelter down at the bottom. They have like a fire Steel door, door. Yeah. and everything. So uh, when Quinn, I forget where he was at this time, um, he... He's on his horse, and he was kind of like over towards where the um, uh, orchard was. Yeah. And then, I'm sorry, he was examining the ash. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So he makes his way back, uh, and he sees that the castle's on fire. Uh, he gets a quick glimpse at the, the male dragon, which is there, and it flies over him, and we think that the dragon is gone, so he's run back in to the castle to find everybody. Uh, that's when they he finds out that they are all stuck in the room down at the bottom. Uh, there's some still people in the top of the castle that uh, need help, so at first Quinn wants to go and get them, but Gerard's character says, I'm going to go ahead and do it. You just stay behind. Uh, before he can really get up to the stairs, the male dragon has reappeared and basically done the Holy Fair. Remember seeing Godzilla 2014 where he opens the mouth and <laughs> braises fire into the uh, Muto. Mm -hmm. uh, the black dragon does this in the castle, just shoots a shitload of uh, fire down through the top of the castle. Uh, Gerard can't avoid it. The force of it closes the, the steel door protecting Quinn and the rest of the kids and women. Uh, but kills Gerard in the process. And here's a moment where Bale shows his acting chops. He's so angry with grief and anger that he's banging the door with where it's hot. And uh, the kids are freaking out because this is their leader who's kind of losing control. And it's just like most of the adults were... Yeah. 
So he, he turns around because he understands that now he's got to get his composure and, and calm these kids down because they're upset, they're wet, these fire uh, sprinklers are going off that they set up through the castle so they didn't die from sulfur and fire uh, heat and stuff like that. So he calms down and, of course, can't finish. So as you said, the other adults step in and kind of do the prayer that they have uh, that they always say every night uh, doing this film. Um... So yeah, we get back to where Neko was talking about where the Quinn decides he's going to help Van Zant go and kill the male dragon. Um, he tells him how to go fly there through the, underneath the... Uh, they flew, They fly in closely and then they, um, they go through the underground tunnels that he knew from his mom. And this is kind of like where we were watching the bonus features where Rob Bowman, the director... So, the one thing I love about this movie is there is such a beautiful, like, um, marriage of practical effects and actual CGI. Because clearly, there is not a, a gigantic dragon. Like, that one image of the dragon climbing up over the castle is so impactful. And, um... It was so well done, and Rob Bowman was so, like, he wanted this to feel real. So he was very specific with his, you know, animation people, and he was very specific with his practical effects people. And we, we watched the behind the scenes, how they, they married the two together, and it was really crazy just watching um, these kind of behind the scenes footage of you know like christian bale is running from nothing but he's such a good actor that he runs and he falls and he actually is believable because he's running from a dragon that has not it's not up there and rob bowman he had in his mind he's like okay set your eyes over uh towards the right and look up this way because that's where we're gonna put the dragon in um this part here coming up with all of them kind of going into London was a big part of these effects because if you look at London in their world, it practical effects wise, they had um, a bunch of burned out buildings. They had yeah, it's just rubble. At yeah, this it's point. rubble and fire, and you have three people just trying to sneak up on this gigantic dragon. And it was so incredible just watching how, you know, we've seen the movie a bunch of times, but when you watch the behind the scenes and how they were able to, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have thought, like, because, I, I guess because Rob, Rob Bowman had such a vision that... He's like, this is where the dragon is going to pan over this way, and you need to look up because he's going right over you. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, especially with the scene where Quinn first arrives back at the castle while it's on fire. They, he, Bowman has Bale look, just basically tells him to look in the air. And what they did was after Bale had acted out that scene for himself, they implanted the dragon to match where his eyes were when he acted so that was a case where they didn't need 
the CGI first. They just needed the actor to look and do his acting. Well, they did all the acting first and CGI right. second in this. And right. like Rob Bowman, he would be like, "Okay, that was good, but your your action was too fast, or that mm -hmm. was good, or you just weren't scared enough." And they would do like m multiple takes, and then they would have the fire people in and. It was just incredible to watch these behind the scenes things so that when you're coming to the culmination, the very end, and you have the three main actors, Isabella Skrupko, uh, Matthew McConaughey, and Christian Bale. Bale, they're just like kind of huddling together over nothing. Like, you know there's... Because yeah. cause you're watching the behind the scenes and there's nothing there. And I think that's... Because we're going to wrap this up a little bit. But oh, sorry, that, sorry. No, it's okay. But that's sort of what it comes down to more than anything about this film. Like, the ending... I've already told you about the iconic scene with McConaughey jumping off the scaffolding with his axe. Clearly, that's his end. But it's a cool end. <laughs> uh, the way that Bale eventually beats the dragon, you know, it's a little bit lackluster, but it, it's expected because they have to... They don't have tanks there. They have, like, just certain items they can use. So they had... Um, it's like a crossbow with, like, a explosive like a, device. Like an explosive device, and he basically said his most vulnerable time is right before right. he blows fire, right. so don't hesitate. As he is getting ready, as he inhales, you have to shoot him. Yep, and then it's basically all those mixtures of chemicals and fire works against the dragon and the explosive, and that's it. But the biggest thing about this film is the impact it's had on movies dealing with dragons going forward, which is sort of pointed out in the, in the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, Neko is pointing to about the CGI effects and everything. Uh, the influence is great on like Harry Potter. Uh, Game of Thrones and stuff like that because that's they've kind of all used that basis. So even though Rotten Tomatoes, in terms of the scores, like they're both around forty percent, uh, which is really low. Really low, in my opinion. Uh, I have to go back. I think Samurai actually did a review on this, or one of those. Is it really that bad? I have to go back and watch. I don't think I ever watched it uh, just for time, but. Uh, I'd be curious because I think more people now appreciate this movie more than they did probably when it was released. Um, I don't think there was a huge promotional push at the time, but again, you're dealing with three actors who really were just in the infancy of their popularity. I mean, Gerard went to do his thing, Matthew and Christian, of course, did his. So uh, at the time, you know, I don't know. For some reason, I kind of felt like. The guys were still pretty popular to me, and I don't know why, but... They were still... They were popular because they were all coming off of different things. I think I... Obviously, I think I was more familiar with McConaughey and Butler, because Butler did Dracula 2000, which I really liked. So I kind of knew already that some of... I mean, I knew some of Bale's stuff, but not as much as that. Uh, this, yeah. This was, this was your first love story to Christian Bale, because I think this movie... Is what made... Ah, uh, you know, I don't know. Or was it... Equilibrium probably would have been, but what year was that one? Because um, I kind of saw... Well, Equilibrium was 2002 as well. Okay, so, yeah, I might have seen that one first and then this one. So, maybe that was why I was kind of like, yeah, I gotta see this. <laughs> you know? But, I mean, it's a cool... We like monster movies. So, yeah. we're like dragons taking over the world. I think it's another one of those things where, like, if you're a fan of fantasy and monsters and Godzilla and stuff like that, you, you like this kind of stuff. And I, I think I've 
we've kind of figured that out through our time through the dojo army and people who we associate with online because we're just all into these type of movies whereas a general audience probably doesn't care much you know what i mean so i the one thing i really liked was they had so much attention to detail like we've seen some really bad cgi movies right Mm -hmm. and that was what the director was was trying to avoid he's like i don't want it to be like a green screen and a bunch of nonsense i want it to feel like that's why he did a lot of practical effects mixed with the cgi and the practical effects people actually built like dragon models and everything and the cgi people so ron excuse me rob bowman was so into just it's it's scary like just imagine if you're in your house and then you hear like this horrific like roar it means the dragons are out so i i I felt like he wanted to make it appear like an apocalyptic movie also a monster movie and i i mean the the acting was just phenomenal when they're acting against nothing. Yeah, I think one of the funnier comments from Rob was, you know, it's, I was, he says, like, I'm pretty fortunate that I was able to get three of the biggest actors at the time on a cheap budget, <laughs> you know, because they weren't, they would have been costed high, a lot more money. Yeah, like, it. now, it's right? like, if, if you grab You're paying them maybe now, $5 million a piece just to have them appear in a movie, so he's like, at the time, they weren't that as well known, so it's like, it was easier to sign them. But they all... Like, when did the 300 come out? That was a couple of years later. Six or seven. Yeah. So... So you've got Gerard Butler, who is good, and he's, like, super Scottish. And, like... Yeah, they're all three big stars now. It's like, you see... Like, I just saw Butler and, um... You watched the end of it. It was the, the cop shop. Mm-hmm. So, like... He's still doing stuff, and he's, you know, he's a big enough name now, but, like, back then, you just really didn't know who he was. Like, a lot of people forget that he was Dracula in Dracula 2000, so it's like, you go back and revisit one of those, it's like, wow! And I think, too, because, like, Matthew McConaughey is huge. Huge, huge, huge. And I'm looking at his IMDb, he's got 75 actor credits. Yeah. But you look back then, and, um... I, I just think of like uh, Dazed and Confused Yeah, Dazed yeah. and Confused What was um, The Newton What is the Newton Boys? Like like the stuff he was doing in the 90s Was nothing Right. It was like um, Glory Days He played a rental truck guy yeah. uh, You know who Who is this? And then he gets I forgot about this. He was on Sex and the City as himself. He played himself on Sex and the City. Uh, he was in The Wedding Planner in 2001. Um, but then you're like, okay. Oh, he was in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. and Yeah, he's done some rom-coms and stuff, so I know that. But it was just like, he was just kind of Matthew McConaughey. And then now you're like, 
This is Matthew McConaughey, who's in the fucking Lincoln commercials. He's, right. like, above all of us. He can do whatever he wants. He was a true detective. It, uh, Interstellar. Dallas, Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah. The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, yeah, he's been in a lot of great stuff. Dude. Uh, I'm just looking. It, it's Same with Bale. Bale's been in a lot of stuff. Like Fucking all of them. Yeah. I. It, it's incredible. And we got to watch their you know their true I, I don't want to say innocent acting but like this is their true like they're still yeah I don't think even if you don't come out of this movie like wow this was like an Oscar winning movie which it's not really but even if you go into it saying well I'm not sure if I really like the movie they're acting if, I mean Butler didn't have as much scenes but Bale and McConaughey. Oh come on! Shine. Some of the stuff that that Butler does is like. He's... No, I'm just talking about this film. Like he didn't have a lot to work with because he wasn't one of the main characters. But Bale and McConaughey, their acting in this is stellar. Like it's great. All right. All right. What's up on the agenda next? Some leprosy new stuff from them. We got some classic material, of course, later on. I uh, got some stuff from Hard Life Promotions and One Eyed Toad. And speaking of that, here's Matricide Walking Through the Flames. <laughs>
from Montreal, Canada, this is Bobby G from Mad Parish. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio.
DJ Nubis. DJ Knuckles upstairs cooking dinner, so I'm holding the fort down, getting ready to close out this edition of the Hordes of Chaos. Probably hear a banging up there. Uh, so on the Hamara track, um, yeah, I don't know what happened there. The, the track was shorter than it should have been. It should have been like a four minute and something track, but apparently I was only a minute and 44 seconds, so I apologize for that. I went back and looked at the promo package that was sent to me by Hard Life Promotions, and I noticed like two or three tracks were not as long as they should have been, because I went to check the, the track listing on Metal Archives, and uh, so I don't know what happened there with the file. It was either incomplete or something happened there. So, But you only have like a teaser of Withering Away from Hamar on there. So apologies for not the entire song there. But uh, if you're a label promotional site, just make sure you're double-checking your tracks that you're sending me. Because like when I go through, and if you don't have a specific song, uh, I will choose a track that I feel like I like. And so when I kind of previewed that track... I assumed that that was the full track, so I don't really know, you know, I don't go check every every album and not for their track listing in time, so just make sure you guys, when you're sending me these files that you're sending me to me complete, because apparently they were, that wasn't the only track that was incomplete uh, on their uh, bundle package that they sent me for this album, so sorry about that guys for Hamar. Uh, Definitely uh, sounds very cool stuff and a lot of death type stuff, so very cool. Uh, yeah, so thank you all for tuning in. Hope you all enjoyed this episode. We'll be back next week, of course. We also put out uh, three new trailer reactions on our YouTube channel, so uh, be sure to go and check that out on MetalTailRadio.com. We have a link there for that. Uh, check out our latest reactions to uh, Clerks 3, uh don't worry, darling, and the monsters. So we have three different reaction videos to that. So check those out. And uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend, folks. And uh, we're going to get out of here. More classic material from a band called Mortar. This is New World Order, Rise of the Tyrant. Later on, folks. <laughs>